A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Tales from the New Republic Edited by Peter Schwafer and Craig Carey Read by Decade Bird Publishing Featuring Joe Funderburk Interlude at Dark Nell, Part 1, by Timothy Zahn. Senator Bell Iblis. Garm Bell Iblis looked up from his data pad, frowning with the subtle tension of pre-speech jitters. The man standing in the doorway was the assistant director at the Tritama Political Center, charged with the responsibility of smoothing any obstacles that might impede the firm step and stalwart tread of an exalted member of the Imperial Senate, or so the gentleman had gravely explained upon Bell Iblis's arrival this afternoon. Clearly, the Anchoron reputation for flowery speech and genteel decorum had found a focal point here, at the Tritama, which was going to make the bluntness of his speech tonight all the more shocking. The dark truth about Emperor Palpatine and his secret agenda for his newly established empire. He shook his head briefly in annoyance. Assistant Director Grass was still waiting patiently, and here he was letting his mind drift. It showed just how seriously this speech, and the situation it represented, had taken over his every waking thought. Yes, yes, Asder Grass. What is it? He asked. A gentleman from your staff has just arrived from Coruscant, Grass said, stepping forward and holding out a data card. He asked me to deliver this to you right away. Thank you. Bell Iblis said, the hairs on the back of his neck tingling as he reached across the desk and took the data card. Cena would never send a package to him without making sure the courier had his private comlink frequency. The fact that there had been no calls concerning any such arrival. He slid the data card into his data pad. There was nothing on it but a single line. Meet me at the northeast exit. Urgent. Ock. Will there be a return message, Senator? Grass asked. No, that's all right, Bell Iblis said, long experience in the political arena enabling him to keep the sudden tension out of his voice and face. Ak was the codename of a special messenger from Bail Organa, a messenger the Alderanian Viceroy used only for top-level Rebel Alliance business. Would you like to speak with the gentleman? Grass persisted. I asked him to wait in the main entrance. That won't be necessary, Bell Iblis said. The last thing he could afford was for the two of them to be seen in public together. Besides, Ak had undoubtedly slipped away by now for their more private meeting. I'll have plenty of time to see him after my speech. Then the message does in fact bespeak a crisis? Grass asked. Bell Iblis felt the skin around his eyes crinkle as his eyes narrowed slightly. For someone who had struck him as having taken a double helping of the traditional Angaroni politeness, Grass was suddenly being uncharacteristically nosy, unless Ock had overplayed his hand in order to make sure the data card was delivered. But that didn't seem likely. Could Grass be a spy for Palpatine, here to keep an eye on him? 
He felt a flash of annoyance. No, that was absurd. The man was probably just trying to be helpful. To middle-level staffers, all news bulletins mean a crisis must be happening somewhere. He improvised, giving Grass an uneasy smile. It's important enough, but hardly a crisis. Certainly not worth delaying my speech for. He looked at his chrono, which reminds me, I'm due on stage in 15 minutes, and I still have to change. I'll leave you to your preparations then, Grass said. Good evening, sir. He bowed deeply and backed out of the room. Bell Iblis gave him a 50 count and then followed. The Tritama's northeast exit was off the group of backstage rooms to the left of the main stage. About as far away from the bustling main entrance as it was possible to get, Bell Iblis eased noiselessly down the stairway, alert for the various staffers hurrying around making final preparations for the evening's round of speeches, and slipped outside. The landspeeder was parked in the service alleyway behind the Tritama, gray and muted in the dim evening light. Standing on the far side of the vehicle, pressed into what little shadow there was trying to watch all directions at once, was Ak. Bell Iblis crossed the alleyway toward him, trying to suppress a grimace and not entirely succeeding. This cloak-and-blade mentality was going to be the end of them yet. Not being too obvious, are we? He suggested tartly as he rounded the front of the landspeeder and stopped, facing the other. Your preparation room seemed a bit too public for a meeting, Ak countered, his voice as calm as his face. Would you rather I showed up at your hotel room after the speech? That could have proved a bit awkward. Bell Iblis felt his lip twitch. Awkward, unfortunately, was hardly the word for it. His wife, Ariana, a daughter of the old Core World families, had an unreserved and totally unwavering faith in Palpatine and his empire, a faith that had first astonished, then baffled, then finally frustrated him. The clash of their differing political views had cast a chill over their marriage the past few months, and had dropped their two children into the middle of what was all too often a verbal war zone. The speech he was about to make there at the Tritama stage was going to upset Ariana enough as it was. All he needed was for a shadowy messenger from Bale to show up in the middle of the inevitable argument afterward. What's the message? He growled. In the dim light, he saw Ock's mouth twitch. Sorry, Senator. I didn't mean... I know you didn't, Bellibliss said. What's the message? Ock looked around the area again. There's been a breakthrough, he said, lowering his voice to something barely over a whisper. We've located Tarkin's project. Bell Iblis felt his throat go suddenly dry. Where is it? I don't know, Ock said. All I know is that a courier will be in the Continuum Void Tapcalf in the city of Zakria on Dark Nell in three days with some inside information about it. Bale wants you to send your most trusted aide to rendezvous with him and pick up his data pack. Courier? Bell Iblis glanced around, a bad taste in his mouth. A three would get you the sabak pot, that this so-called courier was in fact the thief who'd stolen the data pack in the first place. A minor military figure, most likely, either a trooper or perhaps a clerk attached to the project. And two would get you the sabak pot, that his actions hadn't been motivated by anything as selfless as love of the Republic. And how much am I supposed to pay him? Ock hesitated, just noticeably. Bale basically said to give him whatever he wants. Look, we need this information. Yes, yes, I understand. Bell Iblis cut him off. 
If we can't get honest patriotism, we'll settle for honest greed. That'll change, Ock promised, a quiet fire simmering in his voice. As soon as Palpatine's agenda finally becomes clear, we'll have the whole Republic flocking to our side. I'd settle for the top 5% of the Imperial Academy, Bellibliss said sourly. Now was not the time for brooding about Palpatine's maddening talent for pulling the cloak over people's eyes. Fine, I'll get one of my people on it as soon as I finish my... With a brilliant flash, the Tritama political center blew up. Bell Iblis was lying on the ground when he fumbled his way back to consciousness, pressed against the wall of the building across the alleyway, on one side with what was left of the landspeeder looming over him on the other. Behind the landspeeder, a ragged section of wall where the Tritama had been was burning furiously, bathing the whole area with an unreal-looking blaze of yellow light and pouring black smoke into the sky. Senator? Bell Iblis blinked, shifting his eyes upward. Ock was kneeling over him, a gash on the side of his face streaming blood. Come on, Senator, we've got to get you out of here, he said urgently, tugging on his arm. Can you stand? I think so, Bell Iblis said, gathering his feet beneath him. He looked over at the burning building again as Ock helped him to his feet, and abruptly the haze blanketing his mind seemed to flash burn away. Ariana, he gasped. Ock, my wife and children, they're gone, Senator, Ock said, his voice suddenly vicious. And you're going to be next if we don't get you out of here right away. Leave me alone, Bell Iblis snarled, trying to push Ock's hand away and staggering as his trembling legs nearly collapsed beneath him. I've got to get to them. Leave me alone. No, Ock bit back tightening his grip on Bell Iblis's arm. Don't you see? You're the only one they were trying to kill in there. You. Bell Iblis stared at the blazing building, a jolt of fresh pain and emptiness and anger twisting together and cutting into him. No. No, it couldn't be. Destroy a whole building, kill dozens or even hundreds of people, just to get at him? That was insane. Looks like they used a thermal detonator, Ock said, half-leading half-pulling Bell Iblis down the alleyway, away from the wrecked landspeeder, shaped to bring down the Tritama without demolishing the whole neighborhood, most likely planted somewhere near your preparation room, and Ariana and the children had been in the private refreshment center chatting with the chief director, only two rooms away. They had reached the end of the alleyway by now, around the corner of the demolished building, over the sides in front. Bell Iblis could see a crowd already gathering, their features unreadable through the smoke and heat-simmered air, their screams and shouts barely audible over the roar of flames, were like a stab of pain in his heart. Over here, Ox said, pulling him toward a landspeeder parked at the side of the street, its front end crumpled and blistered by the explosion. You can take my ship. I'll get back to Alderaan some other way. He pulled open the door and guided Bell Iblis into the passenger seat. Another layer of the mental haze suddenly cleared from Bell Iblis's mind. Wait a minute, he protested, half in and half out of the vehicle. Ariana and the children. I can't just leave them. You have to, Ock said, his voice bitter but firm. Didn't you hear me? You were the target, Senator. You still are. We've got to get you to safety before they realize they missed and try again. 
He closed the door on Bell Iblis and hurried around to the other side. But what if they're alive? Bell Iblis demanded, fumbling for the door release as Ak dropped into the driver's seat. I can't just leave them. They're dead, Senator, Ak said quietly, his face in shadow. As he hunched forward and reached up under the control board, everyone who was inside is gone, either from the blast itself or from the building's collapse. Whoever Palpatine sent to do the job was very thorough. With a jolt, the landspeeder started up. Yes, Bell Iblis murmured, taking one final look at the burning building as Ox spun the vehicle around and headed in the other direction, down the street. He was indeed. And he's not going to give up now, Ock added, pulling hard to the side to get out of the way of the fleet of extinguisher speeder trucks as they raced past toward the conflagration. A waste of effort, Bell Iblis thought numbly as they passed. There was nothing anyone could do now. You're going to have to go underground until Bale and Mon Mothma can backtrack this and identify whoever was responsible. I suppose so, Bell Iblis said. His left shoulder felt cold and he looked down to see that the top of his coat there had been torn completely away by some bit of flying debris and that the bulk of Oxland Speeder hadn't protected him from. Odd, he wondered, why he hadn't noticed that before. He was suddenly aware of a watchful silence and looked over to find Ock eyeing him warily. Are you all right, Senator? The other asked. Did you hear what I said? You have to go away somewhere and hide. Yes, I heard you. Bell Iblis said, the pain inside him beginning to give way to a black and simmering anger. In that single instant, a moment frozen forever in time, Palpatine had taken away from him everything he held dear, his wife, his children, his career, his life, everything, that is, but one. And I'll be all right, he went on, when Palpatine is dead and what was once the Republic has been restored. I understand. Ock murmured. You're one of us now, Senator. Bell Iblis frowned at him. What are you talking about? I've been part of the Rebel Alliance since it was formed. But you were with us for other reasons, Ock said. Political reasons, like Palpatine's abuse of power. Or idealistic reasons, like erosion of personal freedom. Or the anti-alien biases drifting into the legal system. The muscles in his jaw tightened briefly. Now Palpatine has hurt you. Not someone else, but you. Now it's personal. Bell Iblis took a deep breath. Maybe it is, he conceded. On the other hand, maybe that's exactly what he wants. To trick us into thinking we're fighting him for purely personal reasons. What's wrong with that? What's wrong is that that kind of battle is driven by emotion, Bell Iblis said. Eventually, the emotion burns away, and then your reason for continuing the fight is gone. He fingered the edges of the hole in his coat. But we're not going to fall into that trap. He can do anything he wants to me. Can take anything away from me that he will. I'll still fight him because it's the right thing to do. Period. For a few minutes, they drove on in silence. On the rear display, the burning shell gradually receded behind the other buildings of the city, leaving only an angry black-orange pillar of smoke to mark his family's funeral pyre. It seemed terribly wrong somehow to be running away like this, as if he were casually and cavalierly brushing aside their lives and dishonoring their memory. But no, they were dead, and the dishonor of their blood was solely on Palpatine's hands. 
All that was left for him now was to do whatever he could to prevent others from dying in the same violent and useless way. And if the whispered rumors he'd heard about this Death Star project of Tarkin's were even close to the actual truth. You said I could take your ship? He asked Ock. Yes, if you feel up to flying it yourself, the other said. I was thinking I might stay around a day or two anyway. Why? To see if you can find a direct link back to Palpatine? Belliblis shook his head. I can tell you right now you'll be wasting your time. It's my time to waste. Is there a place where you can hide out for a while? There are a couple of possibilities, Belliblis said. But first, I have an appointment to keep on Darknell. Darknell? Ock threw Bell Iblis a startled look. You? Why not? Bell Iblis countered. Who better to make the pickup than someone who's supposed to be dead anyway? My schedule is now meaningless, you know, and I have no one to miss me if I'm out of sight for a few days. Not anyone. But Ock floundered for a moment. Sir, this could be dangerous. Any contact with informants has that potential. You're not trained for this sort of field work. I did my stint in the military, Bell Iblis reminded him. I know how to handle a blaster, and I know a bit about disguise, too. I won't be recognized. But besides, Bell Iblis cut him off quietly. I need to do something useful right now. Something to help take my mind off. What just happened back there? Ock exhaled softly in resignation. All right, sir. Before you go, though, I'll give you a letter of introduction to someone I know in Zakria. You can contact if you get in trouble. He doesn't have any particular sympathy for the rebellion, but he doesn't much care for Palpatine's empire, either. He's got a lot of contacts among smugglers and other fringe types on Darknell, which may come in handy if you have to go off the planet in a hurry. It may, Belliblis agreed noting with somewhat grim amusement that Ock had carefully refrained from mentioning his friend's own status within the French society. A smuggler himself, or perhaps a dealer of stolen goods, or something even more unsavory? Still, if it came to that, the Rebel Alliance certainly had its own share of unsavory characters. Some had probably been pulled in by the hope of quick profits, but those who had had most likely been disillusioned in record time on that one but others were among the Alliance's most tenacious and effective fighters. Do you trust him? Ock shrugged a bit uncomfortably. I think so, provided as you don't push him too hard or ask too much, or tell him who you are or who you're working for. Anyway, he owes me a couple of favors. I see, Belliblis murmured. It's always comforting to have allies. I could still go with you, Ock offered a clear note of reluctance lurking beneath the words. I was supposed to head back to Alderaan. Under the circumstances, I know Bail would understand. No, Bell Iblis said firmly. Bail undoubtedly needs you elsewhere, and I can do this myself. You just help me get off Anchoron, and then you're on your own. Ock hesitated, then nodded. All right, Senator, if you insist. Bell Iblis looked back at the rear display, his eyes drawn unwillingly to the rolling tower of black smoke behind them. The shock was starting to wear off now, and a myriad of small injuries and throbbing pains were beginning to make themselves felt across his body, but none of it could come even close to the bitter ache in his heart. Ariana and the children. Yes, he said quietly. I insist. The man sitting alone at the table across the crowded tap calf was blonde and fairly short. 
with the darting eyes and twitching mouth of someone who was somewhere he didn't want to be, not much more than a kid, really, which could explain his discomfort at being in such a villainous layer of vile laxity as the continuum void. On the other hand, his stiff back had an air of imperial military about it, and if there was one safe bet in this galaxy, it was that military types and tap-calfs rarely needed to be formally introduced. Miranda Savage sipped at her pale blue drink, wincing at the unfamiliar tang, continuing to study the kid, even as she chided herself for letting her thoughts wander off target that way. The only reason she was on Darknell in the first place, after all, was that it wasn't Creeling or Dorsen or Mantaran. Inspector Hal Horn of Corellian Security had already tracked her to and chased her off all those worlds, and most likely he'd continue his winning streak by tracking her here, too. The sooner she figured out a quiet way off this rock, the better her chances of staying ahead of him until he gave up and went home. She snorted gently, fat chance. Horn wasn't going to give up, at least not in her lifetime. The man was one of that supremely irritating class of law enforcers who combined the menace of incorruptibility with the annoyance of not knowing when to quit. Across the tap calf, the kid slipped a hand beneath the left side of his jacket as he glanced around. The second time he'd done that, Miranda noted, in the past ten minutes. Must be something he was having to reassure himself was still there. Stop it, she ordered herself sternly. She was on the run, and on the run was no time to be swinging for a scratch. Stirring up the locals with a score would be completely counterproductive, especially if she stirred them up enough to catch her with spice or dealies or whatever the kid was carrying that was making him so nervous. He lifted his cup to his lips, half turning to throw a look toward the tap calf door his ninth such check since Miranda had been watching. As he did so, his jacket stretched momentarily against the object in his pocket, giving her a brief glimpse of its shape. It was square, slightly larger than a data card, but considerably thicker. A data pack? Could be. Probably with six to ten data cards, judging from the thickness, snug together in a protective case. Miranda swirled the blue liqueur thoughtfully in her glass. Well now, a data pack put a different perspective on things. Every police and security operative knew spice and other contraband items on sight or smell or taste, but a simple, innocent-looking data pack was another matter entirely. It was something anyone might be carrying, something that even the most suspicious mouth breather would have to go to great lengths to prove wasn't her property in the first place. More to the point, it was something that was likely worth hard, cold money, and money was what she needed if she was going to get out of here ahead of Inspector Horn and his fistful of Corellian warrants, which left only one question, how to get the data pack away from its nervous owner without getting caught doing it. The glowing sign marking the fresher stations was against the wall on the far side of the kid's table. Refilling her drink from the carafe, she got up and ambled in that direction, putting a slightly tipsy hesitation into her movements. His jacket was cut preter style, she noted with a single casual glance as she strolled past him, the sort with a deep inside pocket positioned beneath the armhole on either side, possibly fastened at the top, but probably not seriously sealed. Still, with the youth hunched over the table the way he was, 
The only way to get the data pack would be for her to get him to take the jacket at least partially off. But that was okay. She enjoyed a challenge. The fresher stations were like the rest of the continuum void. Old and more than slightly dilapidated. Sealing herself into one, she sat her drink down on the crumble edge self and got to work. The small tiles lining the station were the first target. Pulling out her knife, she pried two of them off the wall, then carefully trimmed them down to a data card size. Beneath the tiles was a layer of the low-quality honeycomb that served as a passive air filter in low-tier places like this one. A double layer of that sandwiched between her two tiles added the required thickness. One of her diaphanous black scarves wrapped tightly around the pack to hold it together, and it was finished. The object didn't look anything like a data pack, but it was the right size and shape and weight. With the proper distraction and the right moves, and maybe a little bit of luck tossed in, it should work. After digging into her hip pack for a stray cigara, she kept around for just such occasions. She lit it and stuck it between two fingers of her right hand, picking up her glass of liqueur with the fingertips of the same hand. Then, the decoy data pack concealed as best she could in her left hand, she unsealed the door and headed back into the main tap-calf room. The kid hadn't moved in the few minutes she'd been gone, nor had the contact he was obviously expecting made an appearance. Holding her decoy data pack unobtrusively at her side, putting a noticeable stagger into her walk now, she started through the crowd toward her table, this time heading for the narrow gap behind the kid. She dodged a drunk, Barkley sent a warning glare at an unshaven nerve herder type who looked as if he might be starting to get ideas about her and passed behind the kid. And with a sudden lurch, as if she'd been tripped, she fell heavily against the back of his chair and splashed the contents of her glass across the burning tip of her cigar on the back of his jacket. The liqueur ignited with a muffled whoosh into a small but very satisfying fireball. Look out! Miranda gasped, dropping both glass and cigar onto the floor and grabbing over his right shoulder with the edge of the tablecloth. She yanked it toward her, scattering glass and tableware in all directions as she hauled it past the side of his head, toward the flames dancing across the back of his jacket. Simultaneously, she tugged at the left lapel with the fingertips of her left hand. Reflexively, he swung his left arm back in response giving her the necessary slack for pulling the blazing garment away from the back of his neck. And as she slapped vigorously at the already dying flames with the tablecloth, her left hand dipped down into the inside jacket pocket, lifting out the data pack and leaving her decoy behind in its place. I'm so sorry, she repeated over and over in her best embarrassed voice, still pounding the tablecloth across his shoulders, even though the fire was already out as she slipped her prize into her hip pack behind her data pad. So terribly sorry. My ankle went and are you all right? I'm fine, I'm fine, the kid growled, twisting half around to his right and grabbing at the tablecloth. It's out now, right? Oh, yes, she said, giving his back one final slap before letting him pull the now wadded tablecloth away from her. I'm so sorry. Can I buy you a drink? No, forget it, he said, waving her away and trying to turn a little farther around, trying for a clearer look at her. Just go away and leave me alone. Sure, of course, Miranda said, 
easing around as she pretended to resettle his jacket back onto his shoulders, staying just out of his sight. Out of the corner of his eye, she saw his hand steal beneath his jacket to the pocket. The fingers probed the shape of her decoy and fell away, apparently reassured. I'm so sorry. Go away, he repeated, starting to sound a little angry now. Clearly, he wasn't happy at having all this attention focused his way. Yeah, sure. Miranda stepped away to his left, and as he twisted his head in that direction, still trying for a clear look at her face, she turned her back to him and worked her way through the crowd toward her table. She reached it, but didn't sit down. The kid's buyer could be here any time now, and she had no intention of being anywhere in the vicinity when he hauled her decoy triumphantly out of his pocket. Leaving the price of her drink on the table, she slouched her way to the door and out into the tangy Dartnell air. Time to find a nice, quiet place to go around for a while and see just what it was she'd scored. Belle Iblis stared across the tap-calf table at the young blonde man, a sense of unreality thudding through his brain in time with the pulse pounding in his neck. What do you mean you lost it? he demanded in a low voice. How do you lose an entire data pack, especially from within your own coat pocket? Don't use that tone with me, friend, the other growled back, his eyes darting nervously around the half-empty room. And if you're hinting that I'm trying to repulsor lift my price, you'd better think again. I took a huge risk getting that stuff and bringing it here. A huge risk. I'm not any happier than you are that it got lifted. Bell Iblis took a careful breath, trying to throttle back his own anger. He might not be a rebel field operative like Ock, but he knew how to read people, and the youth's face and voice had the ring of truth in it, which meant they were both now squarely in the middle of an incredibly dangerous position. The minute the thief realized what it was she'd found, is there any way they can trace it back to you? he asked quietly. The young man snorted into his cup. Sure, if they really want to go through that much effort. Knowing Tarkin's reputation, they probably will. Then we'll just have to get it back. The kid snorted again. You can go looking under rocks if you want. Me? I'm heading for the tall weeds while I still can. You run now, and they'll know for sure you were the one who lifted the data, Bellibliss warned. Like that's going to matter the other countered harshly, draining his cup and bringing it back down onto the table with an unnecessarily loud thud. She's not going to sit on this long, you know, and the minute she turns it in, the spaceport's going to be locked down solid while Tarkin's people fan out across the planet. You want to wait for that to happen? You be my guest. He stood up. So long, have fun, and forget you ever saw me. He strode across the room and vanished out the door. I'll try, Bell Iblis murmured after him. Taking a sip from his mug, he tried to think. Because his erstwhile drinking companion was wrong, the thief wouldn't hand her prize over to the authorities just like that. Someone cool enough to lift a data pack in the middle of a crowded tap calf would also be cool enough to try to turn a profit from her acquisition. And that meant selling the data pack, which left only the question of how to persuade her to sell to the Rebel Alliance instead of the Empire. Fishing in his pocket for some coins, he dropped them onto the table beside his mug and headed for the door. One thing that was certain 
was that he wasn't going to be able to track her down in a city the size of Zakria by himself. That meant someone with connections in the planet's fringe population, and that meant getting in touch with Ak's local contact. He hoped the man owed Ak a lot of favors. The room was small and dark and sparse, a sharp contrast to the bright lights and scroll work and expensive glitter that was the norm throughout the rest of the Imperial Palace. It was a shock to most of the uninitiated who came into it, and even those who knew what to expect invariably wasted their first few minutes adjusting their eyes and minds to the contrast, which was precisely why Armand Isard liked it. Off-balance people were vulnerable people, and vulnerability was one of his favorite qualities in enemies and allies alike. For allies, after all, were merely people who had not yet outlived their usefulness to the Empire, the Emperor, and Isard himself. Ultimately, invariably, all of them did. His comlink pinged. Director Isard? His aide's voice came from the speaker. Field operative Isard has arrived. Send her in, Armand instructed, allowing himself a smug smile. Not many men, he knew had daughters who had thrown themselves so willingly and so self-sacrificingly into their father's line of work, as had his Isani, already an outstanding intelligence agent. She had time, and again, demonstrated a vigor and ruthlessness in pursuit of the Empire's enemies that had put even some moths to shame. An attitude, fortunately, which was solidly backed by competence and cleverness and efficiency. Nothing in Armand's mind was more contemptible than a shining-eyed intelligence agent whom smugglers and rebels alike could fly casual rings around. The smug smile faded. Clever and efficient, to be sure, but she was going to need every bit of her skill if she was to pull this one out of the fire. The door slid open. You summoned me? Isani said gravely from the door. Sit down, Armand said in the same tone, feeling another flicker of pride as he gestured her toward a chair. No mention of her being his daughter, with the underlying suggestion or invitation of preferential treatment such an acknowledgement might have implied. In this room, in this building, she was an agent, and he was her director, and that was the totality of their relationship. I have an important job for you. How important, she asked as she lowered herself with sinuous grace into the chair. It could be a career maker for you, he said. It could also be a career breaker for a large number of others. Her eyes flickered, just noticeably. She had the Isard family ambition, too, the same ambition that had taken Armand himself to the top. Tell me more. Armand selected a data card from a stack on his desk. An eight-card data pack has been taken to Darknell, he said, sliding the data card across the desk toward her. This data pack must at all costs be retrieved. Point of origin? The despair system, Armand said, watching her face closely. Once again, the brief flicker of her eyes showed that his long-held suspicion was correct. Despite the most stringent of security procedures, Isani had somehow managed to learn about the Death Star project, even to the point of knowing where the massive weapon was being constructed. So you understand the seriousness of the situation, 
he went on, under the circumstances, I can hardly declare an empire-wide state of emergency and seal the Darknell system with a ring of star destroyers. Certainly not for a project that doesn't officially even exist, Isani agreed, almost offhandedly. I presume that also means you're not sending a full intelligence force with me. Her eyebrows lifted slightly. Or is there more to it than that? Is this theft somehow personal? Armand grimaced. Personal enough, he conceded. The suspected thief, the suspected thief was given his security clearance by a close associate of mine, a man high up in our department, who will be in serious trouble if we can't retrieve the data pack before the Rebel Alliance gets hold of it, or before someone else in intelligence does. Isani picked up the data card. Is the traitor's file in here? The suspected traitor, yes, Armand said, along with several possibilities of who the rebels might send to pick it up. Isani nodded. So you want me to retrieve the data pack, confirm the traitor's identity, and capture the rebel agent? Is that it? Armand suppressed a smile. The famous Isard family confidence. Or as much of that as you can manage in the time you'll have, he said. I've ordered an interdiction of Darknell's spaceports, but I doubt the local authorities will be able to keep them sealed for very long. Just remember that retrieving the data pack is the most important part of the job. Then I'd best get started, she said, sliding the data card into her tunic pocket. I presume it's all right for me to take one of my enforcers along? If you have to, Armand said, make sure it's someone you trust and don't tell him what it is you're actually after. Of course not, she said, standing up. You'll order me a courier ship. It's already standing by, Armand told her. Goodbye, and good luck. She favored him with a faint smile. The Isards make their own luck, she reminded him softly. I'll be in touch. Interlude at Darknell, Part 2, by Michael A. Stackpole. Hal Horn sighed heavily as the Darknell Defense Agency officer glanced at his identification card, travel permits, and the warrants he had brought with him. It seemed to Hal that every member of the Zakrian bureaucracy had studied those same data files with an intensity that suggested they were digitizing the data and loading it straight into their brains. He had come to Darknell, and specifically to the city of Zakria, because the local officials' legendary attention to detail and hatred for disorder made them natural allies in his search for Miranda Savage. Now I'm not so sure, he thought. He glanced down at the smaller, slighter man. I think you'll see, Colonel Nyroska, that all my files are in order. All I really want is for you to issue an alert that will have your people looking for my target if she tries to leave the planet. Nyroska's dark eyes narrowed. You realize, of course, Inspector Horn, that you have absolutely no jurisdiction here. I do know that, but, and while we are willing to cooperate with fellow officers of the law, Long gone are the days of Jedi vigilantes traveling hither and thither, chasing miscreants and rendering harsh verdicts right then and there. 
the days of lightsaber justice are no more i understand colonel hal turned part way to the side so his height and bulk wouldn't seem to be threatening the Zakrian. as per your regulations i surrendered my blaster when i made planet fall and i have no weapons on me commendable inspector and i think it good you remain in civilian clothes so your presence cannot be misconstrued nairoska hit a button on his data pad ejecting the data card that contained hal's documents he toyed with it for a moment then held it out to the corellian your quarry this savage she is not a violent criminal nothing in her records indicate that she is no sir she's just good at liberating valuables from the unwary a lifter then one of the best nairoska stood abruptly his oversized chair sliding back the chair and the huge desk had helped dwarf nairoska but had not needed to work very hard to do so he's even smaller than corin how catalogued the fact to use the next time his son complained about being short the colonel waved his hand toward the door of his office how blinked that's it we really have nothing else to discuss but what about putting the spaceport inspectors on alert nairoska gave him an oily smile as he came around from behind the desk and rested a hand on the small of hal's back my dear inspector horne our spaceport inspectors are already on alert we received a request from imperial authorities to be on the lookout for rebel operatives coming here you witnessed our thoroughness you fit the profile we were given as you can imagine this imperial matter is consuming much of our time i will append this savage woman's name to the detail list but unless you link her to the rebels she will be a secondary concern hal closed his eyes for a moment and slowly exhaled the galaxy had turned upside down in recent years so much so he hardly recognized it imperial authorities had become obsessed with the rebellion and while folks with rebel sympathies could be found all over the place on corellia very few rebel agents had been discovered he'd heard rumors that garmbel iblis had been connected to the rebellion but he considered most of the rumors to be normal fallout of politics and with bell iblis dead there's no way he can defend himself against such lies still those lies had helped brand hal and every other corellian as potential rebel agents while the authorities he had come to for help in finding miranda savage were checking him out she could have been dancing onto any number of ships headed for points unknown time once was when nabbing someone with her reputation would have made a man like nairoska jump for joy but as the emperor focused more energy on the rebellion priorities shifted it would be easy for me to lie to you colonel nairoska and tell you she is a rebel agent you're looking for hal shook his head slowly she isn't at least i don't know of any rebel connections she has thank you for your honesty inspector hal paused in the doorway and arched an eyebrow above a hazel eye at him you didn't expect honesty from a corellian all i expect of you is respect for our regulations inspector nairoska shrugged uneasily these days i never expect honesty from anyone the corellian thought for a moment then nodded have to hope for a return to the good old days then when those we hunted actually committed crimes thanks for your help i'll let you know when i find her isani izard glared up at trabler as her aide finally cleared the immigration checkpoint 
What detained you? He shrugged his massive shoulders. Profile check, I assume. She almost snapped that he should not assume anything, but she checked herself. She'd chosen Traveler to accompany her because of his unswerving loyalty to the Empire and because she recalled his wrenching the head off a captive Ithorian with his bare hands. He is here for his muscle, nothing more. He will do what I tell him to do when I tell him to do it. The blonde hair and Corellian background of his cover identity likely did trip the Sakrian profiling system. Their tendency toward being overly thorough will only slow us down, which is why I want no official contact with them. No matter. They're bringing our land speeder around. You are competent. You can navigate. Trabler nodded once. I studied the local maps and always had my data pad to back things up. Good. She led the way to the spaceport exit and found a man standing next to a rental land speeder. He bore a sign that read, Glask, her assumed surname. She and Trabler made their way over to him, identified themselves, and took possession of the vehicle. As Trabler slipped into the driver's seat, she took her place in the back. Isard powered up her data pad. I have the files on Zagria's fringe population, and am getting comlinked updates as the locals flag files. Since the rebel will undoubtedly be taking refuge among the scum here, we will hunt there as well. Our quarry will want to alter his identity, and there are only a few places that offer such services here. We will begin by checking them. As you wish, Special Agent Isod. There is one address on East Ryloth Street, and another on Palpatine Parkway. Which is closer? Ryloth Street should be. Trabler glanced at her in the mirror. That would be your preference, then? Indeed. She smiled coldly at the reflection of his eyes. Anyone who would sell him a new identity will sell him to us. Let's go. We have a lot of shopping to do today. Hal thanked the hovercab driver and tipped him half again the fare he'd been charged. Really, this is it. 24335 East Ryloth Street. Right where I want to be. The Deveronian looked around at the seedy neighborhood and back at Hal again. West Ryloth is more your kind of place, my friend. Hal shook his head and jerked a thumb at the curio shop. Arky is an old friend. He gave the cabbie a conspiratorial wink. You never saw me, hey? Got it, pal. Never saw you. The Corellian exited the cab and slammed the door shut. He watched the cab pull away, then stepped over a midden of litter and made his way straight for the shop's transparisteel door. The lettering painted on the door proclaimed the shop to be Arky's Emporium of Forgotten Treasures. Hal figured most of them were forgotten because they had been excavated from beneath layers of dust. All the items on display in the viewports were sun-faded and cracked, hardly inviting the casual passerby to venture inside. Not that they get many casual passers-by down here, Hal thought. He opened the door and quickly scanned the place. The only other customer glanced quickly in his direction when the door buzzed as Hal opened it, then turned and seemed very interested in not letting Hal get a look at his face. That behavior would have struck Hal as odd, but the customer was likely taking his cue from the way Arky had paled when he recognized Hal. Seb Arcos, what a surprise! The Corellian security officer kept his voice light. Last I recall, you'd want an all-expenses-paid trip to Kessel. Seb Arcos snorted. He stood as tall as Hal, 
but had a skeletally thin build that matched the roomy gumble that underscored his words. Yeah, well, glit mining isn't my kind of thing. Out of your range, aren't you, Corsac? I'm hurt, Arky. Here I come all this way to see you, and all I get is hostility. Hal strolled through the store, seeing only a collection of junk. He almost remarked about the fact, but he remembered that his wife had a knack for walking into such a place and rescuing treasures from it. Dealing in antiques is your sort of thing now? Or are those delicate hands still forging the best transport and identification documents in the galaxy? Arky's smile betrayed him for a second, then he scowled. I keep my nose clean. Hal raised open hands. Hey, the local snoopers are no friends of mine. But you are looking for a friend. Someone I feel about the same way I feel about you, Arky. Hal slipped a static holograph of Miranda Savage from his pocket and flashed it for the forger. Miranda Savage. Seen her? Miranda Savage. The slender man tapped a bony finger against his chin. Miranda Savage. Hal jerked a thumb at the store's other customer. You want me to start asking your clientele? Arky's eyes widened, the pale blue communicating a jolt of fear. No, no, no need to do that. I seen her around, you know, places. She retaining your services? The forger shook his head. No, she hasn't asked me to dummy anything up for her. Hal caught a hint of deceit from the shopkeeper. Let's not try to slice the truth too thin here. She's talked to you about smuggling her off this rock, right? And you figured you'd nail her for clean data docs in the process? The cadaverous man's eyes narrowed, and a lank of white hair drifted down over his forehead. Okay, straight bites. No bits flipped. We talked. She wants to be gone, and you're the reason. She's getting very insistent. And you're going to let me know when you're meeting with her next. Arky's head came up. Look, Horn, you know I don't play that way. You set me up to join Booster and the others on Kessel, but I didn't vader them out, did I? I was loyal to my mates. Hal shrugged and folded his arms across his chest. Fine. I can wait here forever. We'll be business partners, you and I. I'll be your silent partner, checking everyone out, at least until you decide not to be silent. Arky glowered at him then swiped a hand under his nose. Okay, maybe she was going to be around. Soon, maybe. The Corsac inspector nodded. Good enough. I can wait. Outside, hey? Hal glanced from Arky to the other man in the store, then saw a woman approaching the door. Sure. Looks like it'll be crowded in here soon anyway. I'll wait outside. She won't see me, and will never know it was you. Across the street... Hidden in the shadows of an alley, Miranda Savage smacked an open hand against the wall. Seb Arcos had been the only shadow broker who had been willing to talk with her. The imperial interdiction had scared everyone else. Of course, you don't have to be a genius to know a Corellian expatriate wouldn't be smart enough to be afraid of the imps. The local authorities were ruled and regged up so badly, they had to fill out k-bytes of data forms before they could even draw a blaster. Not so the imps, rumor has it. They get bonus pay for saving the state, the cost of a trial. She wanted to get off Zakria as fast as possible, and meeting Seb Arcos the previous evening had seemed a fine stroke of luck. Luck which has soured. As she headed toward his store to make her arrangements, who should pop out 
of a hover cab, but how horn, as big as life and too damned close for her comfort. Close as he's gotten so far. A minute later and he would have caught me in the shop. She allowed herself a half smile. Well, not all my luck is bad. It hadn't taken Miranda long to put together a few puzzle pieces as events unfolded on Zakria. She'd used her data pad to take a look at the cards she'd lifted, but they were encrypted. While she was no ace slicer, she knew a few tricks and was able to determine that the files had been coded with some heavy-duty imperial encryption routines. Given the eight cards in the set, she figured they had to be some fairly extensive military files. Military files being the only thing that matched up with the courier's demeanor. The only folks who would want imp military files would be the Empire's enemies, which meant the Rebellion. The Imperial Interdict on the spaceport had a search for rebels linked to it, confirming her suspicions. This gave her a brand new problem, and one that made Hal Horn a decided side issue. Miranda had heard rumors about the Rebellion, passed some on, and marveled at others, but by and large she kept away from being involved. In her line of work, the face on the coin really didn't matter much, just the fact that the coin was there and could be lifted. Any government would take a dim view of how she made her living, be it imperial, local, or whatever these rebels would put into place. These folks worry about laws, where I worry about evading them. Having a data pack chock full of imperial military secrets could easily be construed by local and imperial forces as a sign that she was a rebel. She had no idea if the rumors of what the imps did with captured rebels were true or not, but she'd prefer an extended stay on Kessel to what she'd heard about. Keeping the data pack was not a good idea, and she knew it. And she kept telling herself she was going to ditch it at the earliest opportunity. And yet, there its weight was, in her jacket pocket, slapping against her hip as she crouched down. Someone she knew would pay good money for the cards, and that money could take her places Hal Horn couldn't even begin to dream about finding her. She didn't see hanging on to the data cards as a gamble as much as she did a balance. Right now, the risk wasn't too great, but when things got unbalanced, she could ditch the data cards. Right, that's what I'm going to do. Her self-mocking smile died as a woman got out of the land speeder farther up the block. The front registration plate had a rental code on it and looked far too new to be in this part of Zakria, unless it was driven by a booster looking to piece it out for parts. The woman spoke to the driver, then set off down the street, heading for Arky's store. Though the woman wore civilian clothes, Miranda knew she was Imperial, straight from Imperial Center, and that meant she was most probably Imperial Intelligence. The cut of her clothes marked her point of origin, and the haughty way her chin lifted as she navigated past a derelict glitbiter lying up against a building marked her as Imperial. And she's going straight for Arky which means intel, and that means I'm in very deep. Isani Isard wrinkled her nose at the store's thick scent. She ran a finger across a feline statue carved from Ithorian tollwood, then gently brushed her hands against each other to get rid of the dust. As she did so, she took quick stock of the store and the three men in it. Seb Arcos she recognized from her file on her data pad. The other two men seemed unremarkable until the larger one, speaking with Arcos, glanced at her. Horn, from Corellia. Corsac, if the file flashed to me was accurate. 
It struck her as odd that a man newly arrived on Zakria would come so quickly to a known rebel contact point. Unless, like Bel Iblis, he's a rebel too. She frowned. Nothing in Horn's file indicated any rebel sympathies, and Isar dimly recalled his father being a highly placed member of Corsac, one who had been lauded for his diligence in hunting Jedi. She turned to examine a filthy weak-way chin heart, knowing full well it could never function without the matching cord hammer, and raised her comlink to her mouth. In a whisper, she commanded Traveler to bring the landspeeder up to the store's door. Through the window, she caught a hint of movement as he complied with her order, so she pocketed the comlink and walked smartly over to Hal Horn. Inspector Horn, I'm Katya Glass of Darknell Special Security. A grin blossomed on Arcos's face. In trouble, Inspector? Horn shook his head. I shouldn't be. Am I, Agent Glask? Though slightly shorter than Trabler, Horn had a powerful build and a metric ton more intelligence in his hazel eyes than Trabler could ever hope for. He wore his brown hair cut conservatively short, and that revealed the gray hairs growing in his temples. She guessed he was half a dozen years older than she was, and someone who saw himself as a good man, which means he can be useful or very dangerous. That depends. Your identification, please? Horn carefully drew a data card from within his jacket, which Isard slipped into her data pad. She glanced at his identification and took in his warrants, then nodded and returned the card to him. I wanted to make certain. Please forgive the caution. Your investigation. We may have a break in it. Her head came up, then she frowned. Perhaps this is not the place to discuss this sort of thing. If you don't mind, I have a speeder waiting outside. Horn watched her carefully. You found Savage. We found evidence of her presence. I would feel more at ease explaining outside. She hooked a hand through his left elbow, letting it rest lightly enough there to be construed as an invitation, not an order. The Corellian nodded slowly. Your world, your rules. He turned back and pointed a finger at the shopkeeper. Don't let me down, Arky. Right, Horn. The thin man scoffed loudly. I'll have her wait. I'll have her wait right here for you. You bet. Garm Bell Iblis suppressed a shudder as Isard led Hal Horn out of the shop. Bell Iblis had been so careful in reaching Arcos's store that when Horn walked in, he felt certain he'd been trapped. Arcos had recognized the inspector right off and had muttered, Emperor's black bones! Corsac, here! Under his breath, Bell Iblis had braced himself not to jump when Horn grabbed him, but the man had just passed him by without so much as a glance. As Horn started in on Arcos, Bell Iblis had begun to relax. He still had no evidence that anyone was looking for him, or that anyone thought he still lived. The anonymity of death gave him a chance to operate without surveillance. But how long it would last? He had no idea. He hoped Arcos would provide him with a good set of documents to allow him to continue his search for the thief on Darknell and, possibly, even act as a broker for any exchange. It struck Bell Iblis as possible that Horn could be a rebel operative sent to Darknell by Bail Organa or Mon Mothma to recover the data pack, since neither of them knew he was alive and out to get it himself. He had no idea if Horn was a rebel. Bell Iblis admired the efficient cell system that had been set up to deny all 
but those who needed to know that sort of information. He hesitated, almost prepared to make his identity known to Horn, but the direction of the Corsac agent's questioning of Arcos made him hold back. The senator found himself secretly smiling as Horn worked on Arcos. One of the most galling things about being a senator from Corellia was dealing with the reputation his system had for its smugglers. Bell Iblis and the majority of the other Corellians were good people, but they were judged by association with others. While Bell Iblis didn't know Hal Horn, he knew plenty of folks like him who worked hard to make Corellia a better place. His admiration for Horn's dedication to duty spawned a smile. The arrival of Isani Isard killed that smile again. Bell Iblis had only ever met her once, at an imperial reception. She had been on her father's arm. Bell Iblis detested Armand Isard, a little man with iron eyes and a wiry speed that made Bell Iblis feel clumsy. Armand Isard had ruthlessly ferreted out and destroyed rebel cells, both real and imagined. His daughter, with her mismatched eyes of fire and ice, had inherited her father's singleness and purpose, and worse yet, had developed a personal devotion to the emperor. For her to be on Darknell meant the original theft had been discovered and that Armand Isard was sparing no effort in getting the data pack back in Imperial hands. A cold chill sank into the senator's bones as he realized Armand Isard had undoubtedly given the order that slew his family and almost got him. His hands closed into fists, but he didn't latch out. He didn't smash Isani Isard in the face with all his might, though he sorely wanted to. No, even killing her would not hurt her father, and even hurting him is not the focus here. The data pack she's hunting for, that will help bring down the Empire. If we do that, never again will there be a place for an Armand Isard or Emperor to hurt people. Gaining control of his anger, Bel Iblis turned to watch the door close behind Isard and Horn. Well, Arcos, the time we have to complete our business is slipping away. I think we should conclude it before the Emperor himself comes wandering in, don't you? Miranda Savage saw the landspeeder cruise down and come to a stop in front of the store and felt as if a hand were tightening around her heart. She'd spent a lot of time doing her best to avoid Imperial scrutiny, but that didn't mean she allowed herself to be ignorant of her enemies. Imperial intelligence ops, as a rule, cast a wide web when going after a target. The fact that she could see the spider in the center of that web meant that other forces were closing in. And that means I get caught holding the prize morsel. Again, the urge to throw the data pack away nearly overwhelmed her. She reached into her pocket to get it, then noticed the landspeeder's driver's side window sliding down into the corridor. The bruiser of a driver glanced around. He looked at himself in the rearview mirror. His vanity, which struck her as very human, brought her out of her panic and sparked a plan. She pulled the data pack out of her pocket, broke it open, and pulled out the eight data cards. She stacked them one on top of another and laid them against the bottom of her data pad. Straightening up, she tugged her jacket into place, then boldly strode over toward the land speeder. She consulted the map on her data pad a couple of times, looked around, and let a puzzled expression contort her brow. She'd closed to within three meters before the driver noticed her, and by then she was flashing her data pad at him. Excuse me, please. I believe I'm lost. 
Can you help me, please? The man's expression eased. Yeah, I guess maybe I could. Miranda leaned over and smiled broadly at him. She took the data pad from her left hand into her right hand and thrust it into the vehicle, stabbing toward the data pad he had mounted in the dashboard holder. Our maps look different. The driver studied her map, then his own, taking her data pad into his hands to do so. Miranda crossed her arms and let the data cards in her left hand slip, one by one, down into the window well of the landspeeder's door. She coughed lightly to cover the minute clicks as they descended, and was pretty certain that the driver would take any sounds he heard to be the key clicks from the data pad. The driver handed her back her data pad. See, this is East Ryloth Street. Your map is showing West Ryloth Street. You were five kilometers off. That's why you couldn't tell where you were. Oh, thank you very much. Miranda studied the data pad, then shook her head and smiled. I can't tell you what a big help you've been. She backed away from the vehicle and headed off the way she had come, valiantly resisting the urge to burst out laughing. The prize he came here for is now 10 centimeters from him, and he has no clue. Unable to help herself, Miranda spun around in mid-street, thinking to thank the man again. As she came around, she looked up and locked eyes with Hal Horn. Seeing Miranda Savage there in the middle of the street, capering around in a circle like a child, sent a jolt through Hal Horn. He started to move after her, but the Darknell security woman's hand became a claw on his arm. Miranda had already turned and begun to run when Hal looked at his escort. She's getting away. Trabler, the woman snapped. Get her. The driver's door on the land speeder in front of the store opened and a huge man piled out. Hal knew he was huge, not only because he towered over the roof of the land speeder, but his massive paw dwarfed the blaster he drew from beneath his jacket. Hal recognized it as a Luxon penetrator, favored by many because of its concealability and serious power it packed. Most models didn't even have a stun setting, and that, combined with a cool sense of lethality rippling off the man, prompted Hal to act. He took a second to focus, then used a trick his father had taught him long ago, before the Clone Wars, and before the Jedi Hunters had come. He pushed his consciousness into Traveler's mind. He saw through Traveler's eyes, watching the penetrator come up and center itself on Miranda Savage's back. He watched Traveler track her for a second, and knew she'd never reach the safety of the alley in time. Drawing on the force within himself, he projected a blur image of Miranda into Traveler's mind. Trabler's finger tightened on the trigger. A red gold beam stabbed out and caught Miranda in the shoulder just as she reached the alley. Hal heard her scream and watched her tumble down into a pile of debris. He started to go after her, but Isard held on to him again. Hal battered her arm away. What are you doing? She's down, either dead or seriously wounded. I need to check. The woman's eyes narrowed, and though their color did not match, the venom in them did. We will have the locals find her and bring her to the morgue. We have more important business to attend to. Hal frowned, wishing he could get a solid read off the woman. His use of the force had left him a bit drained. It had been far too long since he had done anything that active, and he was grossly out of practice. As a result, he couldn't even get the menace that had to be roaring off Trabler as the man turned and aimed the blaster at Hal. 
What's going on here? Glask's face tightened. I couldn't tell you in there, but we have a rebel operative on the loose, and I need your help in tracking him. Look, you got me out here saying you were helping me with my case, and now your man has killed my suspect. I'm not here to hunt rebels. Her chin came up. But you are loyal to the Empire, are you not? I serve Corsac to main order, so yes, I'm loyal to the Empire. She let her expression soften, and her voice dropped to a conspiratorial whisper. There are members of Darknell Special Security who are not, which is why my search is running into trouble. I have to rely on someone from outside my own service. You. To make some headway. I know this is unorthodox, but surely you've resorted to unusual methods to push cases forward before. Some. But I don't see that this is any concern of mine, really. Hal shook his head. My purpose for being here is lying in a heap over there. So it might seem, but the rebel we're after was involved in the assassination of Senator Garmbel Iblis and his family. The woman's voice became very solemn. The speech he was to give that night was one in which he was going to denounce the rebellion. They murdered him so that wouldn't happen. I thought that you, a Corellian, might want to help us find his killer. Hal shivered and felt his flesh puckering, as much as he couldn't believe the casual way Trabler had shot Miranda. Nothing in her file warranted death as a punishment. The idea of a bomber who'd killed hundreds of people just to get one man filled him with revulsion. If Bell Iblis's assassin is here, he must be found and brought to justice. Bell Iblis was from Corellia. I owe it to him to help find his killer. The Corsac inspector nodded. Okay, I'm in. He leveled a finger at Trabler. Just no shooting first. Okay? If your suspect murdered Bell Iblis, we want him to talk and lead us back to the others involved in the rebellion, right? Glask nodded, and then opened the landspeeder's rear door. After you, Inspector Horn. With your help, our quarry won't get away. As the landspeeder sped off, Bell Iblis stumbled from the shop and ran across the street. He'd seen the woman's senseless murder, and though he would not have questioned the truth of someone reporting Isani Isard had ordered such a thing, to see it unfold before him was another thing entirely. Reaching the alley mouth, he saw blood, and just for a moment, he expected to follow the trail to find his wife at the end of it. No, she's gone. Poor Arianya. You died for a cause you didn't even believe in. Bell Iblis choked back the lump rising in his throat, then looked deeper into the alley and saw the woman slumped against the wall. Her right arm hung limply at her side, the sleeve of her coat soaked in blood. A cigar hung from the corner of her mouth, and she kept trying to strike a lighter with her blood-slicked left hand. The woman looked over at him and grinned. Got a spark, pal? Then her eyes rolled back in her head, and she collapsed. The senator ran to her and knelt by her side. The only virtue of being shot with a penetrator is that the tiny beam makes a neat hole. Bell Iblis saw a nasty entry wound and a smaller exit on the front side of her shoulder. He stripped off his own coat and wrapped it around the wounds, then lifted her in his arms and started back toward Arcos's store. It occurred to him that the last woman he had carried in his arms like this had been his wife on an anniversary getaway several years earlier. It had been a wonderful time an escape from the pressures of his office and her duties, and they had both told each other that they would do it again soon, very soon.
Belle Iblis's expression hardened. I lost her to the Empire. I'm not losing anyone else. He knew, given the course the rebellion would likely take, that resolution would never hold. Well, at least I won't lose this woman. I'm not saving the galaxy, but it's saving the part of it I can, and that works for me. He looked up as Arcos held the shop's door open. We need to get her some medical help now. That woman was Isani Isard, late of Imperial Center, and employed by Imperial Intelligence. If she's here, terror choked off Arcos's voice. The senator put steel in his own voice. Hang with me, Arcos. She's not invincible. She walked right past me, remember, and snagged someone who's got nothing to do with our business. Keep your head, and we'll keep ours. Arcos thought for a moment, then nodded quickly. You're right. Thanks. Not a problem. Let's get things going. Bell Iblis smiled. There will come a point when Isar realizes she needs to come back here and complete her business with you. By then, I want everything we need to do done. And the only thing left for her is our laughter at her blunder. Interlude at Dark Knell, Part 3, by Michael A. Stackpole. Halhorn's afternoon sojourn, with Agent Glask and her aide, Trabler, made one thing abundantly clear to him. These two, as efficient as they might be as investigators, were not part of Darknell Special Security, not even whatever they might call their Internal Investigations Bureau. They have all the arrogance I'd expect from the Iskis Division, but it's usually only displayed to hutted-up cops, not civilians. Glask had moved Hal from location to location, proclaiming each to be a suspected rebel contact site. Most were sleazy little holes like Arky's store, but a couple had been more upscale and toward the west side of Zakria, The gourmet calf shop where Hal and Traveler waited outside on either side of the door was one of the more prosperous places. Hal had enjoyed the rich aroma of the small shop and had reluctantly agreed to wait outside as the owner took Glask into her private office to discuss things. Hal arched an eyebrow at Traveler. Hard to believe the owner didn't think we'd fit in with the clientele. The bigger man frowned, causing his blonde brows to kiss each other above his nose. You think we look like rebels? Hostility poured through Trabler's voice, and Howe was perfectly glad his force senses were a bit tired, since it saved him the full force of the anger rolling off the guy. Easy, my friend. I didn't mean to suggest that at all. You know as well as I do that the rebel tag on this place was likely snitched by the other calf shop around the corner. Customers here seem a bit too prosperous to be rebels. Think so, do you? Trabler snorted coldly. You'd be surprised how highly some rebels are placed. Then again, maybe you wouldn't. And that's supposed to mean... Means one can't be too sure who's gone over or not. Trabler half smiled. The core worlds have their share of rebels, sure, but Remkin have more. Interesting point. Hal let a pair of women exiting the shop shield him from Trabler. The last time Hal had heard the word Remkin used, he had broken up a fight in a Corellian tapcalf where a local had beaten someone from Imperial Center to a pulp for applying such an insulting term to him. Not too many Rem dwellers apply that word to themselves. The door opened again, and Agent Glask appeared. 
She was dabbing a white handkerchief against a dark spot on her gray blouse. She was useless, broke down and blubbered about evading taxes, but she knows nothing about the rebellion or the plot against Bell Iblis. Trabler glanced at his data pad, then pointed on down the street. Continuum Void is next on the list. It's that way. Hal took the lead and found Glask, quickly pacing beside him. The owner didn't react to any of the holographs you showed her? Glask shook her head. Ignorant. Completely ignorant. As was her staff. Places like this claim to bring the latest in Imperial culture to Darknell. But it's only what they imagine really goes on at the heart of the Empire. I mean, Corellia is a core world. Do you think the Corellian blend calf was the sort of thing you drink at home? Well, no, but that's because at Corsac we brew it strong enough to be used for medicinal purposes, Hal shrugged. When doing a rim stint, I try not to let the indigs and their ways get to me, you know? You're very charitable, Inspector Horn. Hal smiled. I try to be. The fact that Glass didn't react at all when he referred to the citizens of Darknells as indigs, or his time on the rim world as a rim stint, told him very clearly she wasn't the local she was purporting to be. A local could no more have failed to react than Miranda could give up her cigaras. Something is not right here, and I'm not looking forward to finding out how wrong it's become. Trabler moved ahead and opened the door to the crowded tap calf. Hal descended the trio of steps to the serving floor, then worked his way around past a table of boisterous Deveronians. He wanted to reach the bar before Glass did. He managed to delay her by tapping a Deveronian on the shoulder. As the man swung his head around to see who had touched him, a horn snagged Glass' uniform, slowing her down. Hal spotted a small man wearing a name tag that proclaimed him to be the manager and moved to intercept him before the guy could head through a doorway leading into an office marked Private. I'm Inspector Horn. These are Agents Glask and Trabler. We have some questions for you. Do you want to answer them now or after we lock this place down and have it searched for contraband? The little man gulped air audibly and coughed, half of it back up. I don't want any trouble. Hal half turned to Glask. Her glare had only been partially melted by the way he'd braced the man. Agent Glask here has some holographs for you to look at. Hal held out his hand, and she gave them to him. Then he fanned them in front of the manager. Recognize anyone? The man gave them a cursory glance. No, I don't think so. Hal settled his left hand on the man's right shoulder. Look, pal, I'm just trying to give you a chance to help yourself here. The surveillance team we've got on this place has already pointed out to us which of these guys has actually been through here. Now you confirm their information and answer more questions? or we send you away for obstructing justice. We can still send him to Kessel for that, right, Glask? Glask nodded, her expression getting cold. For a long time. The little man shivered. Kessel? I don't even know what that is. And that's the way you want to keep it, friend. Look at the holographs again, closely. The man did, running a finger across the surface of each. The manager didn't let recognition flash through his eyes on any of them. Even so... With his hand on the man's shoulder, Hal could feel the tiny twitches of shoulder muscles that marked each pause over an image. Three of the five guys had actually been in the place, but the longest pause had come over the center picture, the one of the short blonde guy with a military-style haircut. The manager blinked. I'm not sure. Let me help you. 
Hal shuffled the blonde's picture to the top of the pack, then plucked it off the top and smacked it against the man's forehead. He did so with a bit more gusto than he wanted to, but the fact that the man's head bumped against the wall eased Glass scowl. And after all, Hal was playing more to appease her than anything else. This guy was in here and you remember him. How recently? Um, um, yesterday maybe. No, wait, this morning. Early. Only the habituals in that early, you know? The manager ate Hal's growing smile. He was waiting for someone, but then he burst into flames. Glask pounced on that remark. Burst into flames? The manager winced at the sharp tone in her voice. Well, he was sitting there. Then this woman with a drink and a cigar tripped and spilled the drink on him. Cigar caught it on fire, I guess. She helped him put it out, and he was okay. Hal gave the man's shoulder a squeeze. Great. And what else do you remember? Well, when the guy he was waiting for showed, they talked and the blonde guy there, he got agitated. He said he'd been robbed. Then he took off like he'd stolen Vader's cloak, you know? Glask narrowed her eyes and glanced at Hal. Whatever he had was lifted, you figure? The woman who set him on fire must have it. What did she look like? The pink tip of the manager's tongue wormed its way over his dry lips. Well, she wasn't that tall, and she had brown hair. Hal shook his head. This is ridiculous. I have a holograph for you to look at. He reached into his pocket and slipped a holograph from his wallet, then pulled it out. He ripped the blonde man's holograph from the manager's forehead and tossed it to Glask, then showed the other hollow to the manager. Was this her? The manager shook his head. Never seen her before in my life. I should hope not. My wife wouldn't be caught dead in a place like this. Hal shrugged and slipped the holograph back into his pocket. Thank you for your help. You're free to go. The man scurried off as Glask grabbed Hal's shoulder and spun him toward her. What do you mean, dismissing him? Forgive me for preempting your investigation, but you know this lead was a complete bust. We're looking for the person who killed Bell Iblis, right? Well, what assassin sits around in some dump tap calf like a jewel thief waiting for a fence? I've no doubt your petty boy there is guilty of something, but he was a rank amateur if he got lifted the way he did and a lifter that good has likely already put plenty of hyperspace between her butt and this rock. Trabler frowned. The assassin was waiting to get paid. Hal rolled his eyes. Then what was lifted? Proof he'd killed Bell Iblis? I would have thought the galaxy-wide broadcast of the state funeral on Corellia would have pretty much been taken as proof. Moreover, an assassin that good would have demanded at least partial payment up front, so he'd never have to dive to these depths again. We should be looking on some luxury resort world, not here. Hal watched Glask and saw her eyes flicker back and forth for a moment. He expected panic to roll off her, but he caught none of it, which means my force reserves are absolutely gone, or she's just that good at self-control. Her whole cover story, thought up on the fly as Trabler shot Miranda down, was falling apart, and Trabler's spackle job had only pointed out how absurd it had been from the start. Whatever they were really here searching for had been brought to Darknell by the blonde and lifted by Miranda. The fact that these two reeked of core world arrogance suggested to Hal that they were most likely Imperials. Hal shook his head, and that means both Miranda, if she's even alive, and I are in far deeper than we ever wanted to be. 
Darm Bell Iblis looked around the threadbare apartment as Miranda gingerly shrugged on a new blouse and jacket. Her living quarters were little more than a box with a window and a small refresher station walled away toward the rear, right beside the closet in which she rooted about for clothes. He didn't see much there that made him think this was a place she lived long term, and before congratulating himself on his deductive ability, he did recall that a Corsac inspector had come looking for her, which meant she'd been on the run. The room, he thus decided, was one of those places that was the underworld's equivalent of a safe house. Governments use safe houses as places where they hide a witness before a trial or house a spy during debriefing. There were little bits and pieces of stuff here, mismatched glow lamps, a half dozen periodical data cards, and a melange of sheets and blankets that covered a thin pad laid down out of sight of the window that had probably been left behind by previous criminal tenants. Now that I'm full into the rebellion, I guess this will be the sort of place I'll be spending my time in, too. The place isn't much, I know. Neither am I. Miranda emerged from the closet wearing a vibrant blue tunic and a dark brown coat over it. She eased her right shoulder around the tiny circle and almost totally suppressed the grimace that resulted. There. Good as new. A back-to-bath would make you as good as new. True. But the shot mostly just roasted meat. Lots of aches, but no breaks. Besides, those MD droids have a nasty habit of reporting blaster burns to the authorities. Miranda eyed him closely. Seeing as how you're a rebel, I don't think you'd want that sort of scrutiny. Bell Iblis stiffened, quite involuntarily, then narrowed his eyes. How did you guess? No guess about it. She tapped a finger against her temple. First, you cared to come find me, and it wasn't to pick over my bones. Compassion is rare these days, and the rebels seem to have a lock on it. Second, you came even though you were smart enough to know the folks who shot me were probably Imperial Intelligence. Bell Iblis nodded. The woman was Isani Isard, Armand Isard's daughter. Miranda's eyes grew wide at that. Then she shivered. I knew this was tricky business, but just how tricky? What else made you think I'm a rebel? Arky has a rep. You're clearly a Corellian, and all Corellians hate taking orders. The patch job you did on me suggests you've done your time in the military, which helps breed loyalty to the way it was before Palpatine got greedy. Finally, if the imps are sniffing around for something, the folks opposing them are likely to be rebels. Really? Bell Iblis let the question linger for a moment. Perhaps I'm Black Sun. Ha! There's that compassion thing, remember? Hmm, good point. Bell Iblis thought for a moment. What makes you think the imps are sniffing around for something and not for someone? Well, I could tell you I deduced that from the fact that Iceheart's daughter is here. For wet work, they just send out a bunch of her drivers. She's presumably got brains, and they must want to ask questions before they shoot. Save in your case. Hey, that's a better shot than he got in. Miranda gave Bell Iblis a lopsided smile. Fact is, I lifted something from a nervous young man here, and it has imperial property, important imperial property, coded all over it. That was what you were sent to pick up, wasn't it? Bell Iblis shrugged as casually as he could manage. Can you prove you were the thief? She nodded and pulled a black scarf from the pocket of her jacket. The packet I exchanged for the one I stole 
had them made of this, tying it up nice and pretty. Recognize it? He reached out and ran a thumb over the material. Where's the package now? She laughed. Not so fast, Reb. I'm grateful for the patch on my arm, but I'd like the resources to leave this mud ball and get far away from Hal Horn. What's it worth to you? 25,000 credits. How about 50? Sold. Miranda's eyes widened again. That valuable, eh? Can we work some bonus pay in here too? Where is it? She hissed, and Bell Iblis felt his heart tighten. In a very safe place. And that would be... The reason I want to know about bonus pay, she shook her head. I slipped the data cards into the door of Isard's rental speeder. I can see that surprises you, but don't worry. Challenges like that, they always bring out the best in me. Hal sat alone in the back of the speeder as Glask drove them to her operational center. Back at the Continuum Void, she'd pulled Trabler aside and given him orders that sent him off on his own. She told Hal that Trabler was going to head to the spaceport to check on how things were running there, but he doubted she was telling the truth. Any information Trabler could learn in person could just as easily have been given to her over a comm link. Hal paid little attention to the world passing in a blurred palette outside the speeder's viewports. He found himself wondering what had prompted him to show the Tapcast day manager the hollow of his wife instead of Miranda's hollow. I recognized Miranda from the description the second he started in on it. The cigar I used to roast the blonde was a giveaway. But why did I protect her? Now I know she's involved. And that kills the assassin story dead. We have a simple lift from a thief here. But the presence of imps suggests it's not that simple at all. By not showing the man the correct hollow, Hal had killed the only solid investigative lead Glask had. He assumed, because she was an imp, and because she questioned his loyalty right up front, the quarry she was after was connected to the rebellion somehow. Hal Horn had no love for the rebels. They put themselves on the wrong side of the law, and that was enough to earn his opposition. But he wasn't much crazier about the imps. More than once, he tried to rein in the excesses of overzealous imperial operatives, which generally resulted in his having to clean up after them. Trabler's actions were a perfect example of the sort of excesses he wanted to avoid. He could have easily run after Miranda and grabbed her. Instead, he gave no warning. He just drew his blaster and shot. Hal hoped his messing with Trabler's aim prevented Miranda's death, but he pretty much assumed she was either dead, dying, or severely incapacitated. Trabler's willingness to shoot to kill someone who, while not innocent, clearly was a bystander in the whole situation, told Hal that the Empire wasn't looking to take any prisoners. Whatever Miranda had lifted had to be very important, covering state secrets, no doubt. And if I know that much, I have to assume my life may be forfeit at some point, whenever I've exceeded my usefulness, or I've become enough of an annoyance. That realization didn't bring with it panic. Yes, Hal felt worried and hated the idea of never seeing his wife or son again, but a sense of calm overrode his emotions. He remembered back when he was very young, not more than six, and had thrown a temper tantrum over a toy that had been broken. His father took him back out into the yard and told him that he couldn't let his emotions run wild that way, that it disturbed the universe. His father began to teach him simple exercises to calm himself, and drilled Hal until they became second nature. Calm, he could think, 
and he did so as Glask slid the speeder to a halt before the door of a small house. Shrubbery screened it from the other nearby houses, and Alley ran up the left side and seemed to connect via a gate to an alley or street at the back of the property. The place immediately registered to Hal as a safe house, and while he could imagine someone with Darknell Special Security using one for her headquarters, the isolated nature of the building, despite its being in the city, made him uneasy. Glask unlocked the door and entered first, then shut the door and headed down a narrow corridor, through the kitchen, toward an extension that jutted out from the rear of the house. This way. My office is back here. Al followed closely on her heels. She turned to say something to him as they moved into the kitchen, but her attempt to rivet his attention to her did not completely work. A half second before Trabler emerged from behind a door and dropped his hands on the back of Hal's neck, Hal sensed his presence and acted. Hal fell to his knees and curled his body forward, forcing Trabler to bend over to maintain his grip. As the Imperial op tightened his hands, Hal straightened up and came up on one knee. He drove the back of his head into Trabler's face, producing all sorts of snapping sounds that he was pretty sure were not his skull. Trabler yelped and released him, raising his hands to cover his shattered face. Hal twisted to the right, scything his right leg back into Trabler's ankles. The big man staggered, overturning a table, then crashed down. Hal snaked a hand inside Trabler's jacket and drew the guard's Luxon penetrator. He snapped the safety switch off with his thumb and triggered a quick shot at Glask. She ducked back with a blaster in hand firing a shot that shattered a plate on a shelf just past Hal's head. Hal dove to his right and came up in a crouch. Behind him, Trabler, whose face was a mask of blood, had drawn a vibroblade from his boot and was scrambling to his feet. Hal drilled him dead center, burning out his heart, then ducked back where the food storage unit could give him cover. Glask triggered a shot that punched through the storage unit. That won't protect you! Didn't figure it would! Hal fished the hollow of Miranda from his pocket and tossed it into the middle of the floor. He let Glask see it. Then he fired a shot that melted it into a burning black bubble. That will! What are you talking about? You incel types always think you're on top of the game but I make my living sorting truth from lies. And I've sorted enough here to know that you're here looking for something a rebel op stole. He was the blonde, and a lifter took whatever he was carrying. She has it now, and that was the hollow of her. And you think that because you've destroyed that hollow, that I'll keep you alive to identify her? Glass's laughter filled the kitchen. The warrants you brought here to Darknell for her arrest will yield another hollow of her. She punctuated her comment with another shot that spattered the hot metal over Hal's jacket. Miranda Savage is a master of disguise, so you won't find her. More important though, your man Trabler probably killed her. I'd guess that part of the task you sent him off on was to find out if the local police or hospitals had reported her being recovered, right? They didn't, which means she's out there and probably has help. And this will keep you alive, why? Because I know her. I've tracked her across half a dozen worlds. I know how she operates. 
I know what she looks like in myriad disguises. Without me, you'll never find her. Or if you do, it won't be in time. He stressed the last word to put pressure on the agent. Since the desperate measures already employed told him time was of the essence in the recovery of whatever Miranda had stolen. Give her a chance to catch her breath, and she'll have the prize sold to the rebels. I don't know that I can trust you to help me. Uh, excuse me, but I'm the one here who has trust problems, given that your aide tried to tear my head off. Hal shook his head. Pear Imp Noya just never seems to stop. Believe it or not, I actually want to catch Miranda. You're my best bet for doing that. The alternative is for me to shoot you dead and hope I can invade an Imperial murder warrant. I help you, you say Trabler's weapon discharged accidentally, and we're both in the clear. You're right, of course. You could never escape a warrant for my murder. A very confident tone entered her voice and sent chills down Hal's spine. I'm Isani Isard, the daughter of the Director of Imperial Intelligence. You would be hunted forever, and your family would disappear. Pleased to make your acquaintance, Hal sighed as quietly as he could. It couldn't get much worse, could it? And you are correct. I am here hunting a rebel courier. He stole- Don't tell me. I don't want to know. If you told me, you'd have to kill me. Hal closed his eyes for a moment. I'm here to catch a thief, and that thief has your property. I get her, you get it. I don't need to know what it is. Very good. Very smart of you. She hesitated for a moment, and Hal wanted to cringe for reasons he could not identify. I am almost inclined to trust you, but because I don't have a full security profile on you, I will demand one condition to your alliance. That being... A thin, black, ribbon-like device rolled across the floor and unfolded as it came to rest on its side. It looked like a tiny belt with a black clasp, and Hal recognized it immediately as a choke collar. When snapped around his neck, it could be given a remote command to constrict, cutting off the blood flow to his brain, rendering him unconscious. They were often used to restrain prisoners on work details. A construction override command pulsed out from a central control unit, so the collar constricted when prisoners moved out of range and put a quick end to escapes. Hal picked it up and let it dangle from one hand. You'll have the control unit, and it will be a dead man device. If I give a command, or my pulse stops, the collar constricts. Without a key, or without trusting someone to shoot it off your neck, you'll be dead shortly after I am. Hal didn't want to put the collar on, but shooting her and then living a life on the run seemed to be his only alternative. A lightsaber ought to be able to cut right through this. Perhaps, but all the Jedi are gone. The age of Imperial justice is here, Hal Horn. Of that, I'm well aware. Hal slipped the collar on, snapped it closed, then raised the collar on his shirt to hide it. He tossed out the penetrator and slowly stood. Here I am. At your service. Isard appeared and flashed him a quick glimpse of the control device, then holstered her blaster. We resume our search at the place I first met you. Don't bother. Arky will be long gone. He knew you were Imp Intel long before I did. Hal smiled. Back to the Continuum Void. It's the only place that stocked Graylish liqueur, and Miranda's a fiend for it. 
Having been shot the way she was, she'll be wanting some fortification. That's the best place to begin. Interlude at Darknell, Part 4, by Timothy Zahn. What are you talking about? Isar demanded, the already wintry tone of her voice dropping into sub-zero territory as she leaned a few centimeters further over the Continuum Void's bar. He was here two hours ago. Where in this vat of ramspit could he have gone? I don't know, Agent Glask. The nervous-looking Deveronian standing on the far side of the bar stammered, twitching his way backward the few centimeters Isard moved forward. As the Emperor himself is my witness, I truly don't know. All I can tell you is that he received a call half an hour ago, told me to handle the bar for the rest of the day, and then took off like Vader himself was chasing after him. That's all I know, I swear. It probably is. Hal murmured from Isard's side, all his senses focused on the Deveronian. The species was easy enough to read if you knew what to look for. Hal did. Offhand, I'd say our quarry's been busy cleaning up a few loose ends. He has no idea what a loose end really is, Isard said acidly, her smoldering eyes still pinning the hapless barman to the wall. But there was a subtle change in her tone enough for how to recognize that the focus of her anger had shifted from the Deveronian to Miranda, to Miranda, and her yet unidentified accomplice. And that one was starting to worry Hal a little. Fine if it was some fellow criminal, either an old friend or a new acquaintance. Dangerous enough, but at least fringe types were relatively known psychological types. But under the circumstances, her ally could instead be a member of the Rebellion. And that was another vat of vinks altogether. As the late, unlamented Trabler had pointed out, rebels come in all sizes and shapes, with profiles that range from opportunistic to fanatical. Fringe criminals generally avoided killing law enforcement officials unless absolutely necessary, if only because it drew too much attention their direction. All too often, in contrast, fanatics reveled in both the violence and the notoriety. Bad enough if some loose laser rebel shot him through the back for no reason. Worse if a rebel shot Isard instead, and her dead body was the last thing Hal wound up seeing as her choke collar squeezed the life out of him. Fine, Isard said, interrupting Hal's increasingly unpleasant line of thought as she straightened back up from her interrogator's lean. If she spun him a story that he fell for that easily, it almost certainly had something to do with a relative or friend. I want their names. All of them. Now. The Deveronian gulped. I, of course. Let me get his profile chart. Sidling down the bar, he escaped to the manager's office. Waste of time, Hal murmured, turning around to lean his shoulder blades against the bar as he glanced over the handful of patrons. A mixture of simple workers and less simple fringe types, he decided. Fairly typical of places like this. Even if we find him, and even if he got a good look at Miranda, she's had more than enough time to change her appearance by now. The fact she and Arcos thought the manager important enough to chase out of town implies they're reasonably concerned about it, Isard pointed out, 
Possibly, Hal said, except that I don't think it's Arcos who's running around with her. Why not? Isard argued. He was right there at the scene, probably even saw Traveler shoot her. Which is exactly why it wasn't him, Hal said. I know Arcos, and he's emphatically not the type to get mixed up with a shooting, at least not without some serious pushing from someone else. Isard grunted. Fine, so she's picked up someone else. The point is that in setting up this wild skipper hunt, they had to come at least part of the way out of the sideboards. If we can chase down the manager and backtrack the story they spun for him, we might be able to get another vector on them. I see, Hal murmured, throwing a sideways look at Isard's profile. It was a reasonable approach, all right. Classic in its straightforwardness. Unfortunately, it also required a data-sifting team that would stretch halfway to Coruscant to pull it off. If she really had that much manpower here to draw on, don't worry, we're not going to do it all ourselves, Isard continued, not bothering to look at him. Apparently, she was no slouch at reading people's expressions either. There's an intelligence quiet drop tucked away in one of the better parts of town, where I can tap into Darknell Security's computers. A few properly placed orders, and the locals will have the manager's complete list of acquaintances tracked down by nightfall. Um... Hal said, thinking back to his own earlier interactions with Darknell officialdom. You'd better hope they don't tumble to what you're doing, he warned mildly. Colonel Nyroska, for one, struck me as something of a stickler for proper protocol. Forged orders don't exactly come under that heading. Colonel Nyroska will do what he's told, Isard said coldly, dismissing Nyroska with the flick of an eyelash. That goes for the rest of this rabble, too. And for me, too, I suppose, Hal added silently, feeling with fresh awareness and fresh resentment the soft pressure of the choke collar against his throat. A rhetorical question. Of course it went for him, too. He was just one more of her tools, after all, like Darknell Security and Trabler, and probably dozens of others whose broken lives lay scattered about the dust of her wake. Maybe even hundreds if the whispered stories about Armand Isard and his ambitious daughter were to be believed. He eyed her profile again. Yes, he was a tool. But then, so was a lightsaber. And many was the overconfident would-be Jedi impersonator who had carelessly sliced off one of his own major limbs. Sometimes mishandled tools could be very dangerous. Something to keep in mind. The small man Miranda had pointed out heaved his travel bag into the transport's cargo area and then climbed into the passenger compartment, a vague sense of discomfort evident in the twitching of his movements. He's getting aboard, Bellibliss announced, lowering his macro binoculars as a fresh twinge of guilt tugged at him. Though what he's going to do when he gets to Rakel? Keep watching the transport, Miranda interrupted, her voice sounding distracted. Make sure he's still aboard when it leaves. Anyway, what's the problem? He ought to be relieved when he finds out his father wasn't actually in any accident. I suppose so, Bellibliss said, throwing a scowl at her. Seated at the apartment's battered dining table, frowning at a data pad, she was unfortunately oblivious to scowls at the moment. On the other hand, 
this wild skipper hunt isn't going to come cheap for him. Life never has been fair, she said. If you're worried about it, have your rebel friends reimburse him. Bell Iblis snorted. The rebellion is hardly a bottomless money pit. The transport garm, she said, jabbing a finger toward the window without looking up. Watch the transport. Swallowing back a curse, Bell Iblis turned to the window and raised the macro binoculars again. Over the past few days, he'd managed to force back the sharp agony of his family's deaths into a duller ache, a quiet pain that colored every waking moment, but which at least left him able to function reasonably well. But reasonably well didn't mean there wasn't an edge of impatience and bitterness to his attitude, an edge this casually arrogant little thief forever seemed to be stepping on. It was a constant battle to keep from blowing up in her face over what under normal circumstances he would have shrugged off as minor personality conflicts. But it was an effort he had to make, an effort he forced himself to make. He needed her help to retrieve that data pack, to get this vital information that could conceivably make or break the rebellion. And besides, his black mood wasn't her fault. Three blocks away, the transport shuddered into motion and lumbered its way down the street. There it goes, he announced to Miranda, turning back to her again. And he didn't get off. Good, she said, setting aside her data pad with an air of satisfaction, taking a draw on her cigara, and pulling out her comlink. He wouldn't have been much use to your friend Isard anyway, but this should give her people something to do while we stir the kettle a bit. Which means what? Which means it's time to give the law a call she said. I've pulled a likely name off your pal Arcos's private list of incorruptible enforcement types. Let's hope he's also got the smarts to jump the direction we want him to. She keyed the comlink and held it up. There was a moment's pause. Nairoska, a crisp voice came from the instrument. Hello, Colonel, Miranda said. You don't know me, but I have a small problem here, and I thought you might be able to help. Nairoska's sigh was just barely audible. If you'll call your local security office, I have in my possession a very valuable and politically explosive item, Miranda interrupted, an item the Imperial Intelligence Officer currently nosing around town very badly wants. There was the briefest pause. You're misinformed, Nairoska said. There are no Imperial Intelligence agents on Dark Nell. Let's not play games, Colonel, Miranda said putting some huffiness into her voice. You and I both know she's here. Frankly, she's pretty hard not to spot. What with the blonde muscle type and his Luxon penetrator running interference for her, she's all over Zakria, shaking the trees for a wayward Imperial data pack. I see, Nairoska said. His voice was studiously neutral, but Bell Iblis could hear the growing interest beneath it. I take it the data pack is the valuable item you spoke of? It is indeed, Miranda confirmed. Under normal circumstances, I'd get in touch with her directly and work out an exchange. Two problems. I don't have her comlink frequency, and I don't like the idea of Blondie and his Luxon lurking around the background, so I'd prefer to work the exchange through you. I don't know anything about Imperial agents on Dark Nell, Nairoska said his voice hardening, but if you're in possession of stolen or misappropriated goods, 
The smartest thing you can do is bring everything to Defense Agency Headquarters and turn it in. Okay by me, Miranda said. You'll have the million ready? The what? The million, Miranda repeated. That's an imperial currency, by the way, not the local stuff. You must be joking, Nairoska said stiffly. Do you hear me laughing? Miranda countered. Trust me, Colonel. A million doesn't even begin to mark what it's worth. The imps will be willing to buy it from you for two million. The rebellion, if you can find them, will probably pay three. But don't take my word for it. Talk to the imp and see what she says. Of course, if you turn all this over to her, she'll probably cut you out of the profits. But hey, virtue is its own comfort, right? And what makes you think an Imperial Intel agent won't just laugh in my face, assuming she's not just a figment of your imagination? Oh, she's here, Miranda assured him. And she won't be laughing, believe me. Another pause. All right, I'll make some inquiries and see what I can find out. How do I get in touch with you? I'll call you, Miranda told him. Remember. One million even. Just pass on that message, and then if you want, you can be out of it. She clicked off. Now what? Bellibliss asked. Like I said, we hope he's smart, she said, getting up from the table and putting away both her comlink and data pad. And on the assumption that he is, we vacate the premises now. For a moment, Nairoska glared at the dead comlink. Just pass on the message? The words echoed in his ears. And then you can be out of it? Not likely, he murmured to himself. Not flighty likely. He looked across the room at his aide. Lieutenant. Got it, Colonel, Lieutenant Barkler reported briskly. It came from one of the apartments in the Carflian nestling block. Fringe and lower class mix. Northern end of town. I've got an airspeeder squad on its way. Send two more squads in as backup. Nairoska ordered. Then check and see if we've got Imperial Intel operating on Darknell at the moment. I'm sure we'd have heard if anyone declared him or herself, Colonel. We certainly should have, Nairoska agreed grimly. As I said, check. Yes, sir. Nairoska set down his comlink and swiveled his chair toward the large hollow map of the city behind him. If there was a foreign operative running through his city behind his back, he wanted to know about it, and if said agent was chasing down something worth a million or more in imperial currency, he most definitely wanted to know about it. Accessing the spaceport's database, he pulled up the recent arrivals section and keyed for a search. The manager's profile chart was short. Amazingly short. Suspiciously short. Sad, isn't it? Isard said contemptuously as Hal finished scanning through it. And they always think they're not blindingly obvious to us. They do indeed, Hal agreed, handing back the data pad. The personal section of the manager's profile had exactly 12 names in it. Parents, one brother, and nine friends. There were Corellian fungal colonies that had longer associates lists than that. Still, just because he's gimmicking his associates list doesn't mean he has any particular involvement with Miranda. He's French, Isard said flatly. That list practically screams it. And French types always stick together when the crunch begins.
she considered, not when we start tightening down, mind you, when they start having sprint races to see who can crumble on each other the fastest. But up until then, they stick together, perhaps, Hal murmured, his gaze drifting to the city's northern skyline. The single red and white airspeeder he'd spotted a moment ago had now been joined by two others, all of them scooting like their tails were on fire. Markings were impossible to see at this distance, but he'd seen airspeeders with that color scheme parked outside Colonel Nairoska's office. I presume we start with family? Since his truly close friends, assuming he's got any, are undoubtedly not on that list, I'd say so. Isard said acidly. Unless they're phonies, too. What do you think they're up to? Who? Isard gestured with her datapad. Those three Darknell defense airspeeders, she said. Don't try to tell me you hadn't noticed them. I noticed them, Hal confirmed calmly. You think they've got a line on your rebel? Can't think what else they'd be using defense personnel for, Isard murmured, her mismatched eyes gazing thoughtfully at the now descending airspeeders. Well, if they have, we can pull it out of their computer records at the quiet drop. We heading there now? Soon enough, Isard said, holding up the data pad. I see a name on this profile that was also on Arcos's frequent customer list. Let's go see if perhaps he hasn't had the sense to vanish like everyone else. Thank you for getting back to me so quickly. Nairoska said into his comlink, glancing over the device at Barklow and giving him a sharp nod. Barklow nodded back and busied himself with the trace board. Not a problem, the woman's voice came back. You ready to believe me about the imp agent? Possibly, Nairoska said. We don't have your agent, but we do have a large blonde human male in the tank at the morgue. The analyst tell me he was shot at close range with a Luxon penetrator. There was a brief pause at the other end. Interesting. So you didn't know he was dead? Nairoska probed. Are you suggesting I had something to do with it? She shot back. No, of course not, Nairoska said soothingly, which was, in point of fact, a true statement. He'd made a career of reading people's faces and voices, and that brief pause had been all the reaction he needed to know the news had indeed taken her by surprise, which meant that while she might be a thief, she was not likely to be a murderer. A point in her favor. I merely brought it up to let you know that the part of your story checked out. I'm happy about that if you are, she said, with just a trace of sarcasm. But until and unless you get the imp agent herself, we're no further along than when we started. Not necessarily. Nairoska said. Now that I know that your story has some actual substance to it, I can hopefully persuade my superiors to take the matter seriously. Meaning? Meaning, I'd like to meet with you, he said. No obligations or promises, except, of course, that I won't try to arrest you or take the merchandise. For now, I just want to talk. Yeah, right, the woman sniffed. All completely clear and above board. Exactly, Nairoska said, turning up the calm trustworthiness in his voice to full power. You have to realize you're in a seriously untenable position. 
especially with a dead body in the morgue that the intel agent might well believe is your doing. I may be the only one who can help you, and you can check with your friend's friends that I keep my word. There was another long pause. I'll think about it, the woman said at last. I'll call you later. The connection broke off. Barclow, she's moved south, to the edge of Little Duros, the lieutenant reported. I've got three airspeeders on the way. Nairoska nodded. A waste of time, probably. She does seem to be pretty good at slipping out of nets, Barclow conceded. So what now? Wait until she calls again? More or less, Nairoska said, peering at his computer display. The dead man's ID was being backtracked, along with that of the woman who'd arrived at the spaceport with him. But so far, both probes were coming up dry. Probably another waste of time. Anything on the land speeder they rented? Hasn't been spotted yet, Barclow said. Of course, an Imperial might have altered the ragtag, just on general principles. An unlikely term to use in the same breath with Imperial agents, Nairoska growled, scowling at the display. I think it's about time we took back some of the initiative. I want to check with the General as to how fast we could put together a sizable cash package. Barclow's jaw dropped slightly. You want to pay her off? Not without knowing exactly what she's got, Nairoska said. But if it does turn out to be as explosive as she claims, it would be nice to have some options available. I suppose, Barclow said, shaking his head. I just hope you're not getting in too deep, Colonel. This is Imperial intelligence we're dealing with, you know. This is my world, Barclow. Nairoska said coldly. Our world, not Palpatine's. He may someday be able to run the whole empire from Coruscant, but until then, we do have certain jurisdictional and governmental rights here on Darknell, and I am flighty well going to exercise those rights. Yes, sir, Barclow said, sounding subdued as he reached for his comlink. I'll get the general right now. Miranda clicked off her comlink. Come on, she said. They crossed the street and entered the sweet shop she had marked before making her call to Nairoska. Weaving through the mass of mostly Duro's customers, she led the way back to the employee's entrance in the rear and down a flight of steps to the street at the bottom of the hill. With gratifying promptness, the street maintenance speeder truck she'd spotted from their earlier vantage point came lumbering by just as they reached the street. And a moment later, she and Garm were safely nestled into the empty debris storage bin in the back. You don't think they'll search this thing? Garm asked, looking cautiously out through the rear access opening they'd just climbed in through. Not when they see the bin is already full of dirt, Miranda told him, fastening her outer skirt and pulling it off. Flipping it over so that its brown side was showing, she arranged it across their feet and knees, where it would be all that could be seen through the opening without a close examination. It's all perception, I suppose. He hesitated. So he was shot with his own weapon? Unless someone else in town is packing a Luxon, she agreed soberly. What do you think? Horn or Isard herself? Hard to believe it of either of them, Garm said, shaking his head. Unless Isard found the data cards and assumed her assistant was in on it. Could be, Miranda said studying Garm's face out of the corner of her eye. 
They'd kept their introductions on a strict first-name basis only, but even through the simplistic disguise he was wearing, there was something vaguely familiar about this man, his eyes in particular, very strong and knowing eyes. They were, rich with knowledge and wisdom, and some deep but very private pain, recent pain too, if she was any judge of such things. Or maybe it was his voice. He was someone she might have heard speaking on the news nets. Decisively, she turned her eyes away. The situation piqued her curiosity, but at the moment she had more urgent things to worry about than another man on the run. Any sign of the airspeeders yet? Oh, they're out there, Garm assured her, leaning over Miranda's knees and peering out past their makeshift camouflage. Whatever else Colonel Nairoska might be, he's also fast on his feet. Yes, Miranda agreed. Well, one more call hopefully should do it. Do what? Get us caught? Garm asked pointedly. Aside from appealing to your playful side, I don't know what these calls are supposed to accomplish. We need to flush Isard out of hiding, Miranda told him patiently. That means drawing her to some known location. Assuming she's smart enough to notice all this defense airspeeder activity, I'm hoping it will intrigue her enough to head to one of the security offices to find out what's going on. The only trick will be guessing which one she'll pick. Probably none of them, Garm said. Odds are she'll go to the local intelligence drop site instead. Miranda blinked. Intelligence drop site? Sure, Garm said. It'll have computer access capabilities, and maybe some extra personnel she can draw on. Probably not, though. This station should be too small to be continually staffed. Miranda stared at his profile. How do you know about all this? He shrugged. I have access to certain files. Terrific, she growled. And it didn't occur to you to mention this to me before now? He turned those piercing eyes on her. Before now, I didn't know what you were going for, he reminded her mildly. She ground her teeth, but he was right. One of these days, we really have to get our act together, she said. Fine. Where is this drop site? It's a small, apparently out-of-business boutique in the main West Side shopping district, he told her. I don't remember the name, but I have the address. Good enough, she said. As soon as we're clear of Nairoska's net, we'll find a land speeder and get over there. She frowned as a sudden thought struck her. I don't suppose this place would have a cache of extra weapons Isar could load up with, would it? Probably. Miranda nodded grimly. Terrific. They'd been sitting at the back of the crowded, open-air tap-calf next to the Clear Skies Boutique for nearly half an hour when Miranda suddenly straightened up and nodded. There she is, she said, nodding over the lip of her mug toward Bell Iblis's right. Casually taking a sip from his own drink as he did so, Bell Iblis looked in that direction. Barely twenty meters away, a familiar landspeeder was pulling into a parking zone, and out of it stepped. Well, well, well. Miranda murmured. Horn's still with her. I told you, I Sarge spun him a story back at Arcos's place, Bell Iblis reminded her. Sure, but I wouldn't have expected him to still be tagging along, Miranda said. He should have sliced through her story long ago, or else she should have gotten whatever she wanted from him and tossed him away, Bell Iblis agreed, frowning as Horn turned slowly around beside the landspeeder, automatically checking out the area. His eyes passed over them without a flicker of recognition, the breeze pulling his collar open as he continued his turn. Give me your macro binoculars. Quickly, 
What's up? Miranda asked, passing the tiny set to him beneath the table. Possible trouble, Bell Iblis told her, concealing the macro binoculars with hands and mug. He lifted them to his eyes and focused in on Horn's neck as they crossed the street toward the boutique. One clear look was all it took. Make that definite trouble, he said grimly, lowering the macro binoculars. Horn's wearing a choke collar. Oh, lovely, Miranda said. What a pleasant woman your Isani Isard is. Isard keyed the door lock, and she and Horn disappeared into the clear skies. This changes things, Miranda, Bell Iblis said quietly, bracing himself for the inevitable argument. That choke collar's going to have a dead man switch attached. I'm not going to risk Horn's death if Isard drops the thing or is injured or killed. I agree, she said. On the other hand, there's no way I'm going to try to sneak those data cards out of the car if you aren't pinning them down with blaster fire. Wait a second. Bell Iblis cut her off, frowning. The inevitable had failed to happen. Did you hear what I said? Horn's a good and valuable man, and I'm not going to risk his life. Yes, I heard you, she said. I said I agreed. But... He floundered. She lifted her eyebrows. What? Just because Horns chased me halfway across the Empire, you think I should be willing and eager to let him get vaped? Something like that, yes. She shifted her gaze away, and back to the boutique. Strange as it may seem, Garm, over the past few years, I've gotten sort of used to having Horn on my tail. He's a pretty good opponent, you know. Well worth matching wits against. I rather enjoy that sort of challenge. She smiled wryly. Besides... I know that if he's the one who brings the hammer down on me, I'll be treated fairly. In Palpatine's grand new empire, there aren't a lot of enforcement types I would trust that far. I'm glad we're on the same side of this, Bell Iblis said, some of the tightness lifting from his chest. Arcos had known little about this woman except her name, but her airy confidence, deviousness, and pocket-picking talents had created in his mind the stereotypical fringe image someone willing to do whatever it took to get what she wanted. The fact that casual murder, or even collateral murder, was apparently outside of her ethical boundaries made working with her considerably more palatable to his own conscience. In fact, it made her no worse than some of those he was already fighting alongside in the rebellion, maybe even no worse than the average. So now what? Miranda bit gently at her lip. Were you able to get any details on the choke collar? She asked. Design? Manufacturer? Anything? Bell Iblis searched his memory. All I could see was that it was black, he said. Oh, and it had what looked like small key locks to the left of his throat. Interesting, she said thoughtfully. Probably a Jostrian design. They use straight mechanical key locks to keep anyone from scanning along lock frequencies and unfastening it. So we can't do anything. I didn't say that, she said, still thoughtful. Keep watch here. I'm going to pop into that little electronic shop over there. And then? She patted his hand. Trust me. I was right, Isard said, tapping keys on the Quiet Drops computer. Those defense airspeeders were indeed responding to your friend Savage. Does it identify her by name? Hal asked. Isard threw him a contemptuous look. Of course it does and she included her ID listing and associate's profile, too. If you're going to ask stupid questions, Horn, keep your mouth shut. Hal clamped down firmly on his tongue as Isard turned back to the computer with a snort. 
She had been becoming progressively more ill-tempered as the day wore on, and finding that their last known link between Arcos and the Continuum Void had flown the nest, had apparently been the last click. The anger and frustration and bloodlust were simmering barely beneath the surface, held in check by sheer force of will. And if something didn't break soon, how suspected, some of that bloodlust could very well expend itself on the convenient Corsac inspector whom she was clearly starting to consider less than useful to her. He swallowed, the movement of his throat constricted noticeably by the unyielding noose around his neck. What in the name of Bader's tailor was in that missing data pack anyway? And then, at his belt, his comlink beeped. Isard spun around as if she'd been stung. What's that? She demanded. My comlink, Hal said. I know it's your comlink, she bit out icily, sliding out of her chair and stepping over to him. Who knows you're here? Only Colonel Nyroska, Hal said, pulling out the device. Do you want me to answer it? Of course, she said, stepping close to him. Maybe he's got a line on Savage. Hal nodded and clicked it on. Horn, hello, Inspector. A cheerful female voice replied. It's Miranda Savage. How are you? Hal felt his breath catching his throat. How did you get this frequency? Oh, don't be silly, she chided. You registered it when you arrived on Darknell, remember? Unfortunately, your friend the imp didn't do that, at least not under a name I could find. Is she there with you, by any chance? I'm here, Isard spoke up, glacially calm. You have my data pack? Sure, if you have my money, Miranda said. The price is one million, an imperial currency. Hal looked furtively at Isard's face, wondering if she was approaching meltdown yet, but to his surprise... The eyes gazing back at him were as calm and cool as any he'd ever seen, with at least a potential handle on the situation now. Her earlier frustration and irritation had evaporated into complete professionalism. You have a rather inflated opinion of what it's worth, Isard said. I'll pay you a hundred thousand. Miranda sniffed audibly. That's pretty chintzy, even for an imperial. If you don't want to play, I'm sure someone else will. Like Colonel Nyroska, for instance. Exactly like Colonel Nyroska, Miranda said approvingly. That's right. I sometimes forget how adept you imps are at slicing into official computer systems. You wouldn't happen to have noticed if he's pulled that together yet, have you? He's started making inquiries, Isard confirmed calmly. I can assure you, though, that you'd rather deal with me. My plan is to deal with the top bidder. Miranda said pointedly. Still, I'm sure Imperial Intelligence can bid higher than a backwater fuel stop like Darknell. Most certainly, Isard said, her voice almost silky with implied menace. Along with that hundred thousand, I can also guarantee you the chance to leave here with your skin intact. Don't make me laugh, Miranda sniffed. I've eluded Inspector Horn for years. You think I can't do the same with Imperial Intelligence? No, Isard said flatly. I don't think you can. Hear me shaking, Miranda said. Here's the deal. I'll give you and Nyroska an hour to put together your packages. Cash only, of course. Then I'll meet you both at the number 14 warehouse in the 30 cluster north of town. 
and one of you will leave with the data pack. Clear? Very, Isard said softly. And don't insult my intelligence by trying anything cute, Miranda warned. I'm quite good at this sort of game. One hour, and come alone. The comlink clicked off. Certainly we'll come alone, Isard agreed, as if talking to herself as she sat back down at the computer. We wouldn't want the inconvenience of witnesses, would we? What are we doing? Hal asked as she began keying the terminal. I am clearing out the potential ground clutter, she told him. Specifically, I'm sending Colonel Nyroska's entire contingent on a little impromptu training exercise. Hal felt his jaw drop. You aren't serious. There's no way he won't catch something that blatant. Let him, Icehard retorted. By the time his squawks get anyone's attention, the data pack and I will be long gone. Hal grimaced, leaving him with nothing to do but find someone to pin the blame on. Me, for instance? Isard favored him with a cool, dispassionate look, then turned back to the computer. Think of it as your opportunity to provide a unique service to the Empire. Yes, Hal murmured. Of course. I can't say the General's exactly thrilled by the situation, Barclow reported, clicking off his comlink, but he is rather intrigued by it. He says that if you can prove this data pack is genuinely worth a million, he can have the money ready in two hours. Good, Nyroska said, clicking keys on his computer. Well, well, the backtrack on our big blonde cipher down at the morgue just came up empty, which means his ID was completely phony. Big surprise, Barclow grunted. Half the IDs in South Zakria are probably phony. Yes, but not of this quality, Nyroska said. His tracked all the way back to Coruscant before it petered out. That means... He broke off as his comlink beeped. Here we go, he said, picking it up. I'll bet you your next promotion this is her. He keyed it on. Nyroska. Colonel. An unfamiliar human voice said. My name is... Well, never mind that. I'm an associate, former associate, rather, of the woman you've been dealing with on this data pack matter. I see, Nyroska said. What can I do for you? You can get me out of this mess, that's what, the other said nervously. This whole thing's gotten completely out of hand. Did you know she's actually baiting an Imperial intelligence agent? This is getting way too dangerous, and I'm ready to cut my losses and get out. I applaud your wisdom, Nyroska said. Get me the data pack, and I'll see to it that you walk away. There was a pause. Yeah, the caller said at last. A little uncertainly. Problem. I don't actually have it myself, but I can finger her for you. And she does know where it is. She'll be coming back to the tap calf right next to something called the Clear Skies Boutique. And she'll be back any minute now. Get over here fast, okay? We're on our way, Nyroska promised. On the last word, the comlink clicked off. Well, he added to Barklow, could be a feint. Barklow said, frowning at his board. On the other hand, the trace puts him in that area. I'd say it's worth checking out. Agreed, Nyroska said, keying his computer. He paused, keyed it again. What in? What is it? Barklow asked. My troops, Nyroska said, waving at the computer. 
They've all been sent out to the spaceport. What? Why? I don't know. Nairoska gritted, slapping at the keys. They're phony orders. They have to be. The general wouldn't have pulled them without alerting me first, but the orders show proper authorization and they're locked in, he swore. And the troops are locked incommunicado, too. Abruptly, he got to his feet. Ten to one, it's a delaying tactic by our datapack thief, he ground out. And I have no intention of being delayed. Grab Thykeli from the outer office, and let's go. You think three of us will be enough? Barklow asked, pulling his blaster from a desk drawer as he stood up. We'll make it enough, Nyroska said grimly, checking his own blaster and jamming it into his holster. This time, she's not getting away. They had left the boutique and were heading across the street when Hal's comlink beeped again. Do I answer it? He asked. Probably better, Isard grunted, getting a grip on his arm and leading him over to the side of the street beside their land speeder. Savage may not be finished playing her little games yet. Hal pulled out the instrument, giving the area around them an automatic once-over as he did so. There'd been some turnover in the Tapcast clientele since they'd gone inside the boutique, and a half-block further down, a couple of Kubaz were unloading a speeder truck, but nothing else seemed to have changed. Horn, hello, Inspector. Miranda's voice came back. Just wanted to see if you and your imp were still on schedule. We're working on it, yes, Hal said. Good, Miranda said cheerfully. I also wanted to tell you that I've talked now with Nyroska, and he's ready to offer me two million. Is he now? Isard put in, glaring at the comlink in Hal's hand as if it were a display Miranda could see her through. Down the street, one of the Kubas dropped a crate onto the street with a loud thud. Now you listen to me, you little walking dead woman she bit out, and listen closely. She began voicing an exquisitely detailed threat, a recitation Hal would normally have paid close attention to, if only for professional interest. But in this case, he wasn't even listening. Isard, her full attention focused on her anger and pride and threats, had apparently missed completely the fact that the crash of that dropped crate had been echoed faintly on Miranda's comlink carrier which meant that Miranda was here, somewhere. Slowly, carefully, Hal let his eyes track across the area, studying every visible face and searching windows and doorways for less than visible ones. His gaze fell on a woman about 15 meters away, at one of the tap-calf tables, her face in profile to him as she gazed meditatively at the distant mountains rising over the cityscape, a mug held to her lips. She was the right height and build, but he could see both hands clearly enough to tell there was no comlink palmed in either one of them, unless she had the device clipped to her collar or something. I get the point, Miranda put in, cutting off Isard's threat. Here's the route I want you to follow to the warehouse. Listen closely and don't interrupt. She launched into a detailed list of streets, corners, turns, and backtracks. As she did so, the woman at the tap-calf table set her mug down and stood up, digging a coin out of her hip pouch and dropping it on the table. She turned toward Hal and Isard and started in their direction, glancing back and forth between the various business signs lining the street. And there indeed was no comlink fastened to her collar, nor a telltale bulge beneath her jacket where one might be hidden. Listening with half an ear to Miranda's instructions droning on from his comlink, 
Hal shifted his attention back to the doorways around the area. She had to be here somewhere. Hal? A woman's voice called excitedly. Hal Horn? He wrenched his eyes back to the woman approaching them. She was looking at him with wide eyes, her mouth gaping open in a happy grin of recognition. It is you, she said, now almost bounding as she closed the distance toward him. Well, I'll be a Minox breakfast. Elise Conroy, remember? How are you? Uh, Hal said, glancing in confusion at Isard, as he searched his memory in vain for an Elise Conroy. I'm... Isard plucked the comlink from his hand. We've got trouble. She cut into Miranda's monologue. Call us back in ten minutes. Without waiting for a response, she clicked off. Imagine running into you here on Darknell of all places, the approaching woman said, her grin, if anything, even bigger than it had been. How are Nietzsche and Corin? He's what, 16 years old now? 18, he said, flinching back as she raised her arms for a hug. But her ebullience was hardly to be stopped by anything as simple as a flinch. And the next thing he knew, she had her arms around him, pressing her body tightly against his. Ah, Elise, it's so good to see you, she said, her voice oddly muffled as she spoke into his shoulder, her face pressed against the left side of his face, her breath disconcertingly warm on his neck. How have you been these last few years? Hal glanced past the side of her head. Isard had now stepped around behind her and was giving Hal the same kind of look she'd just been giving the comlink. Actually, Elise, I'm kind of busy right now. He told her, trying to diplomatically ease her away from him. A waste of effort. Her arms merely tightened all the harder around him. In fact, I'm in the middle of something very important. I have to go. Imagine finding you here, she repeated. Is this destiny or what? Isard's eyes were starting to throw sparks. Bracing himself, Hal took a deep breath and got a firm grip on Elise's ribs and abruptly froze. Faintly detectable would that incoming breath have been two distinctive aromas, the pungent tang of cigara smoke plus the more subtle scent of grayish liqueur. Miranda Savage? He opened his mouth to speak, but before he could get the proper words lined up, the arms pinning the two of them together loosened and she stepped back. He caught just a glimpse of the slender lock gem between her lips before it vanished again into her mouth and belatedly noticed the pressure of the choke collar around his neck had disappeared. And with her grin still in place, Elise backed full tilt into Isard. I'm so sorry, she gasped, twisting around with feline speed and grabbing Isard's jacket in time to keep her from falling backward. So very clumsy of me, she added, busily brushing down Isard's jacket, where her grip had momentarily wrinkled it. Are you all right? Get away, Isard snapped, putting a palm against Elise's chest and pushing her away. The shove sent her sprawling back against the side of the landspeeder, her hands scrabbling for balance and finding a grip across the top of the door. Well, sure, Elise said in a subdued tone. You don't have to be so rough. Hal reproved Isar gently, his eyes probing Elise's face. Usually he was able to pull Miranda's features out from under the mask of her many and varied disguises. But here, at first blush anyway, he couldn't seem to find her anywhere in that indignant expression. Maybe it wasn't her after all. She should be thankful I didn't get rough, Isard countered acidly. 
Now get away from our land speeder. We have business to attend to. I don't think so, a voice called from House Wright. He turned. Colonel Nairoska, flanked by two uniformed defense officers, was striding in their direction. All three had blasters drawn. Colonel Nairoska? Hal nodded. What brings you down here? Your friend there, Inspector Horn, Nairoska said, his gaze shifting over Hal's shoulder. She and I need to have a long talk. My friend? Hal frowned, turning back to look at Elise. But she was not, as he'd expected, waiting with the wilted, defeated look of a criminal or fugitive who'd finally been run to ground. Instead, she was standing tall and proud, an almost haughty expression on her face. I commend you on your excellent timing, Colonel, she said in a voice that matched the face as she gestured at Isard. There's your thief and my rebel agent. Arrest her. The sheer effrontery of it caught Isard completely flat-footed. What in the... She sputtered. You little... Back off. She snapped as one of Nairoska's men reached for her arm. Back off, all of you. Her hand dived beneath her jacket, then froze in place as all three blasters suddenly lined up on her face. You're making a big mistake, Colonel, she said quietly. A big mistake. I'm Imperial Intelligence Field Operative, Isani Isard. Indeed, Nairoska said calmly. You have ID, of course? Of course, she said, shifting her hand elsewhere beneath her jacket. Her hand paused. Her face changed, and she spun her head around at Elise. Give it back, she snapped. My ID, give it back. Nice try, Elise said patronizingly, lifting her arms. As you're welcome to confirm, Colonel, I don't have anything of hers. However, if you'll escort us back to your headquarters, I'll be happy to have my staff transmit the credentials she mentioned. Isard's mouth dropped open. You'll what? Present my credentials, Elise said, turning a glacial look on Isard. You see, Colonel, I am field operative Isani Isard. This has gone far enough, Isard snarled. Horn, tell the Colonel exactly who I am. Inspector Horn, Nairoska invited. Hal hesitated. She did tell me she was field operative Isard, he conceded but the only ID she showed me identified her as Darknell Special Security Agent Katya Glask. Did it now, Nairoska said, his voice suddenly cold as he looked at Isard with heightened interest. Impersonating law enforcement personnel is a class one offense on Darknell. And is she by any chance the one who put that highly illegal device around your neck? Hal reached up and pulled the loosened choke collar away. Yes, he said, handing it to the colonel. Isard's eyes were simmering pools of death. You're dead, Horn. Dead. I can only say what I know, Hal said. Anything in the way of further proof is up to you. Indeed it is, she breathed. All right, Colonel, you win. Let's go to your headquarters and sort this out. She looked at Elise. Let's all go, of course. Of course, Nairoska said softly. I wouldn't have it any other way. Bell Iblis waited five minutes after Miranda and the others had left the scene before cautiously approaching the now-abandoned landspeeder and letting himself in. No one shouted in triumph at his appearance. No one, so far as he could tell, even noticed him. Two minutes later, 
Working awkwardly in the cramped space, he had the inner door panel off. The data cards were there, all right, jumbled together at the bottom of the narrow space. Nestled in among them was an extra data card, this one bearing official imperial markings. Isani Isard's missing intelligence ID, no doubt. For a moment, Bell Iblis considered taking it with him, decided it wasn't worth the risk of getting caught with it, and left it where it was. Besides, if Miranda was right about being able to talk her way out of detention, though how she was going to do it, he couldn't even begin to imagine. She might want to track down the vehicle and borrow the ID herself. He refastened the panel loosely back in place, feeling a twinge of stung conscience as he did so. Yes, this had all been Miranda's idea in the first place, a challenge she'd seemed eager to take on. But this was his mission, and the rebellions, and yet it was Miranda who had ended up doing most of the work and taking all of the risk. And not for the flat million in imperial currency she'd demanded for Isard, but for the relative pittance he and Arcos had been able to throw together. Someday, if they all lived through this, he would have to find a way to make it up to her. And the first step in the survival process, he reminded himself, would be to rendezvous with Arcos and get himself and these data cards off Darknell and back to the Rebellion and there to find out what exactly Tarkin's Death Star project entailed. Good luck, Miranda, he murmured as he climbed out of the landspeeder and closed the door gently behind him. May the Force be with you. May it be with us all. Hal would have bet money that Isard's eyes couldn't have gotten more wild than they had been outside the Clear Sky's boutique. He was wrong. What do you mean she's gone? She thundered looming over Nairoska's desk like a berserk storm cloud. How could she be gone? You locked her in a cell, for Palpatine's sake. I'm sorry, field operative Isard, Nairoska said apologetically, clearly trying to press as far back into his chair as he could. My people assured me she was properly secured. Apparently, they were wrong. Apparently, they were idiots, Isard shot back. And what precisely are you doing to recapture her? We have an all-planet alert out, Nairoska told her. If she's still on Darknell, we'll get her. Isard's snort concisely delivered her opinion of that. And you, she bit out, turning her glare onto Hal. If I find out that was savage, and that you knew she was and didn't say anything, I'll have your head for shockball practice. Clear? Clear, said Hal, and I repeat, I don't know how it could have been her standing there hugging me when she was on the comlink at the same time, giving us directions to the warehouse. Best guess is, best guess is, that was her ally running interference for her. In that case, you'd better hope Nairoska catches her, Isard said, because if she or anyone else gets off the planet with that data pack, I'll have both your heads. She turned back to Nairoska. I'll be at my ship, she ground out. You've got my comlink frequency. Let me know if anything turns up on either woman. Anything. Understood? We will, field operative Isod, Nairoska said humbly. Spinning around, she stalked to the door and stomped out. Nairoska exhaled raggedly. We're in trouble now, Inspector, he said quietly. 
The whole empire may be in trouble if that data pack gets off planet, Hal agreed. At least, if her reaction to the whole situation is anything to go by. But to be honest, I don't think you and I are going to take the brunt of it. Not from her, anyway. Isard is about three TIE squadrons worth of pride, and bringing official intelligence wrath down on us will put her in an embarrassingly bad light. As bad a light as it would put us in? Probably not, Hal conceded. But people like that only risk losing face if the potential rewards are worth it. Frankly, neither of us qualify. He shook his head. No, whatever shrapnel comes of this is going to hit elsewhere. Against the Rebel Alliance, perhaps? Hal shrugged. Or those Isar decides are members, he said, whether they are or not. Nyroska tapped his fingertips against the side of his desk. A mess indeed, he said. I wouldn't want to be in her boots when she has to go back and report this to her father. Hal nodded soberly. I'll drink to that. What is this? the barman demanded, frowning at two small items resting in his palm. They were inside the mug at the table over there, the young cleaner said excitedly, pointing across the tap calf. The one where the dark-haired woman was sitting. Which? The one involved in that defense agency Toto down the street? Yes, her. The cleaner pointed at the comlink in the barman's hand. See, the comlink is still on. I tried talking, but no one answered. Cut off from the other end, the barman grunted. That's what I thought, the cleaner agreed. But that recorder is the really strange part. Go ahead, play it. Throwing the kid a speculative look from under his bushy eyebrows, the barman plucked the wafer-thin recorder from his palm and touched the play button. Next, you're to cross the street and pick up a northbound transport. A female voice came through the device. If there isn't one, just wait. There will be. You ride it to the corner of Pontrin and Jedalor. Then get off and go into the clothing store you'll find on the corner. You hear that? The cleaner said. It's like a treasure hunt, isn't it? The barman sniffed. It's a prank, he declared, shutting off the recording and thrusting it, and the comlink, back at the cleaner. Here, you can keep them. The kid took them uncertainly. But what if it isn't a prank? It is, the barman assured him with a sniff. Trust me, lad, there's no treasure worth hunting for on Darknell. Never has been, never will be. Epilogue by Michael A. Stackpole Armand Isard looked up from his desk, slightly more angry that his daughter had left the door open behind her than that she had entered without requesting permission to do so. She advanced toward him too quickly, her mismatched eyes ablaze. He held up a hand, then pointed to the chair before his desk. Please be seated. She glanced at the chair, then looked at him. Can I be sure it's safe? If the result of this operation was for you to be killed, you'd already be dead, Agent Isard. Armand tried to keep his voice as cold as he would when addressing any insubordinate operative in his organization, but a hint of anger bled into it anyway. Please. She settled herself onto its brown synth leather cushion, though her body seemed as tense as if he were asking her to sit in a chair bristling with sharp transparasteel fragments. He tapped the data pad on his desk. I've got the report you sent about the action on Darknell, and I have spoken to the Emperor on your behalf. 
You won't be killed despite your failure. Her posture eased a bit, but not quite in the way he would have expected. She leaned forward, less stiff, more supple, like a predator getting ready to pounce. I do not fear for my life at the Emperor's hands, father. No. No. He read the report on Darknell. The full report. Her words froze his heart in his chest, and the appearance of two royal guards slipping in through the open doorway started it beating again, very fast. What do you mean? What full report? Isani snorted. Did you think I wouldn't see what was going on, father? You send me off on a mission of incredible delicacy, one you clearly would give only to an agent you had the utmost trust in. It was also a mission that would get the operative killed if she failed, and that was your aim all along. This is nonsense. Hardly. Isani let a smile slither across her lips. You see, father, your plan succeeded. The information you wanted stolen has been communicated to the rebels, and we know you had a hand in it. I found fingerprints and other trace evidence that identified the rebel agent sent to retrieve the plans. It was Garm Bell Iblis. Armand Isard's stomach folded in on itself. Bell Iblis? Impossible. He was blown up. The bomb killed his whole family. Oh, well acted, father. Very well acted. But we both know that's not true, don't we? She laughed lightly. You got word to Bell Iblis and got him out of the bomb's range. You didn't mean it for him anyway. You wanted his wife, Ariana, dead. She was the last link he had to the Empire. She was devoted to the Emperor. So at the bidding of rebel masters, you had her slain, forcing Bell Iblis himself to a lie fully to the rebellion. That's absurd. Completely untrue and absurd. Armand forced himself to breathe normally. You have no proof of any of this. You approve the operation that was supposed to kill Bell Iblis. So you clearly knew how to thwart it. And you sent me out on a mission you knew would fail so I would be eliminated. You would use my death at the Emperor's order as an excuse to go over to the Rebellion. With you there to reveal the Empire's secrets to them and the Death Star data cards were proof you could deliver, they would welcome you. You would overthrow the Emperor and betray your rebel companions and take the throne for yourself. It's a brilliant plan, Father. Simple and yet so effective. Armand shot to his feet and pointed to the royal guards. Arrest her. Clearly she's gone over to the rebellion and has concocted this story to remove me, crippling the effort to find and destroy the rebels. Neither of the scarlet-armored royal guards moved. Isani Isard stood and slowly smoothed her tunic. They're here, father, to conduct you to the emperor. I believe he wishes to discuss with you the course of the rest of your life. It is to be a short conversation. Armand Isard stared gate-jawed at his daughter, then closed his mouth and sighed. I had expected this someday, you know, Isani. Of course. I am your daughter. She came around the side of his desk and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And it's over for you now, father. But fear not. She dropped herself into his chair. 
the Isard legacy is in very good hands.